Welcome to another edition of the Big Red Louie Podcast. I am your host, Jacob Lane. I am joined by my good friends, Presley Meyer and Alex Stingel tonight. Guys, how are we doing? Good evening. Incredible. Good, good. We've got uh, a lot to discuss tonight. Uh, most importantly, Louisville is continuing their hot streak on the recruiting trail, picking up another big-time recruit this evening. But before we jump into that, we've got some jugs to talk about tonight. First off, I want to give a shout-out to... Uh, L1C4, the arts on Twitter. I, I believe his name is Kevin. I've actually only talked to him via DM. I, I don't know his first or last name. I'm going to assume because it says Kevin's art collection. But Alex, you have the most massive drinking App- device, apparatus. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's literally the coolest thing. It's, it's, I'm sure you guys <laughs> like, have seen this all over Twitter. It's the, the chromed out red uh, Louisville Cardinal, uh, the old school one. I think, that, is that the football one or is that just the general Cardinal bird? I didn't want to pick sides with sports, so I just so you just picked, it's just I just picked Cardinal. the general. You're such yeah. a <laughs> what? It's you're, they call people who are neutral. What Switzerland in that in that right? I don't know my or Sweden. History. Yeah. Well, I mean Scandinavia. Which, which was the country that stayed neutral? That's the joke. All Sweden. About. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Right. I didn't Sweden has had a war since like 1496. Tell us about tell us about your just. Well, so me and Kevin are basically best friends now since we've met one time in the Walmart parking lot uh, by campus. But yeah, the the guy does phenomenal work though. I honestly, uh, I didn't realize what I was purchasing. I thought I was doing like a smaller one. Right. I'm How many f- ounces does that hold? Do you know? Oh, the whole sixty-four, man. Like you, you drink one of these a day, you're golden. And uh, since summer is coming, and I do perspire quite a bit, I f- I feel good about the purchase. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna use it. I just didn't realize um, the size. Of, of what I was buying but how have you drank a full one of those yet or is it kind of like you go home every night and there's still some water left over or how does that work no I he actually uh, hit me up the other day and he's like how is it you know he checks on his Dude, bottles first off a, he is, he is a, a passionate man. man yeah he will hit you back up he's like how do you like the bottle how's it how's it doing what if you would I didn't have the heart to tell him I didn't get out of the box yet. And I was like, it's doing pristine. Like, it's fine. It's doing great. It's I haven't the best used shape it. it's ever been in. Not, not any leaks or anything. Um, but yeah, so the, tonight is the first trial run. I figured, you know, what the heck. Yeah, break it out for the podcast. We're going to yeah. be here for a while. I brought water. So, you know, it's, yeah, water and beer is a good combination. I think Got a so. Bud Light with it. Presley, how you doing, man? I mean, I couldn't be any better. You sound very nasally. <laughs> I know. According to Alex's grandma. Grandma, if you're listening, shout out. No, we're shouting around. I can't shout your grandma out. Yeah, I'm not saying anything bad. Her name's D. D. Thanks for listening. One of one. We appreciate it. D's my new favorite <laughs> listener. Absolutely. Let's let's jump in a little bit here. Uh, like I said, we'll get into the football recruiting. Um, but there's been a lot of local football news this week. A couple of of things that just kind of go in line with this with this culture change that we've been hearing about for months at nauseum. Um, the ACC Network, which launches in August, announces that they are going to be giving Louisville their. Uh, Technically, it'll be the network's first all-access football show, similar to what we've seen with HBO with Hard Knocks, similar to what Showtime has done in the past uh, with Florida State a couple of years ago. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, I believe Amazon Prime did one with Michigan and a couple of NFL teams. Just basically what it is is a behind-the-scenes look every single day of what's going on without obviously giving away too much. Uh, We also caught wind and and heard from Vince Tyra that the the athletic – Commission Board of Finance of Louisville. That sounds intense. Yeah, approved the <laughs> finally approved the pink seat refurbishing, and we're going to get some red seats back and 
We'll talk about that in a minute with just a cool process there, which is interesting. But you didn't know this. Vince Tyree, his background is actually in the technology, at least a little bit of it is, in the technology that they're going to use to refurbish these seats. Of course it is. Right. Because he's been the CEO of like 42 different companies, all of which are in different <laughs> industries. And then uh, I think it was yesterday they announced the Scott Satterfield um, golf scramble, which Presley, that sounds something like right up your alley. I think you could yeah. go and win, which we might have to make a business decision here to, to invest in you and send you out there in big red Louis gear. Presley's already got his clubs out. Right. Yeah. They're just sitting they're here for people who walk right, in. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's ready to roll with it. Right. And, and for the people who don't know, college, Presley was a college golfer at Spalding. He probably could have played for Louisville if they uh, – oh, they do. Uh, yeah, they, they do have a golf Louisville team. doesn't recruit people from Louisville. So they only recruit from – serious. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, you should have moved somewhere else then. Apparently. I don't know. Yeah. So l- let's start with the All Access show. What are your all's d- thoughts? I mean, I, for me, this is this is right up my alley. Hard Knocks is my favorite TV show. I was ecstatic about it hearing the news. One, because of the point you just made that it will be one of the first shows, um, not really games, but I mean like one of the actual first right. productions that the ACC Network is coming out with. I think that's, that's a great look for us. But um, I see nothing but upside to this. And I, I'm just a little confused on, on some of the people I've, I've kind of talked to just to feel feel out a little bit about what their thoughts are on it. And some of them are on the fence, and I'm not really sure why. Because I think, to your point, everyone's been hearing about the, the chemistry, the new vibe, all the positives of this program. And, I mean, everybody's written articles on it. We spoke about it. That's all you're hearing about. And I think this is – going to give a great, great behind-the-scenes insight into what exactly does that mean? Like, what, what does that equate to to every everybody else, like the normal fan? Or even people outside of the program that really don't know much about Louisville football, except we went, you know, 2-10 and 10 last year. Right. I mean, to, to me, there couldn't be a better time because um, you look at all the momentum that UofL had right. um, behind their program um, going into the – basically into last season um, – with, with you know Lamar Jackson and the Heisman with being so close to making the college football playoffs um, within the last two to three years they have reached their highest and lowest points um, so they're with with that being said they have the facilities they have um, the coaches they have some of the athletes uh, that that um, could ultimately make for a great program so I think it's a perfect um, perfect, perfectly timed piece, um, and it, it sounds like I haven't gotten a chance to watch it, but it sounds like the Appalachian State football program did something similar last year. So it's something that um, Satterfield and and uh, Ivy and um, who else is on the staff? Brown, like Brown Stu Holt, yeah. Holt. So there, there's a bunch of these coaches have already been through this. They know how to deal with it, and now the second time around, they'll be able to maybe handle things better than they did the first time at Appalachian State. Um, with all the attention that they might be getting with having cameras at practices or in the locker room right. or, or otherwise. So um, I, I think it, it, it's only positives can come from it. Right, and I think it's uh, – just to take another step back from that, I'm really excited to just see the the two newest coaches of, of Louisville sports uh, and the two biggest sports we have in Louisville basketball, uh, Louisville men's basketball and Louisville football. You now see coaches that, that want – to, to do the things the previous ones didn't. They don't want to be secretive anymore. They don't want to hide behind the curtain. They don't not want to talk to high schools, the press, the media, whoever it may be uh, to keep you know things undercover. These guys are just trying to get the word out. It's a whole, it's a whole new era. We want everybody to know. I, I love the fact that 
last year we started hearing about how how involved uh, Chris Mack was on a lot of the media stuff. Right. And when we saw that new intro video coming out for the right. basketball games, like he had a hands-on approach to that. That's that's what you need now, especially in this day and age of of what recruiting's become. Right. Because that's what these that's what these kids want to see. And I guarantee you, there's a lot of kids out there that probably didn't follow Appalachian State sports, right. or or even for that matter, Louisville sports. Or yeah, right? especially on the football side. Right. Uh, besides Lamar, so so this is going to be, in my mind, once again, like nothing but good things to show. Even the high schoolers, hey, this is what the new program's about. This is the new staff. This is how we operate. This is how positive we are. This is how practices are ran. And and so really, I mean, if I'm a kid watching it, I'm like, oh, okay. So they actually are a lot cooler than I thought they were. Yeah, you know? I, I, mean, I think I think there's a couple of things that go into this. Number one being this is going to be just a huge recu- recruiting tool and a, a, a chance for Louisville to kind of control the narrative of right. what the program is, where it's going, post Bobby Petrino. Kind of dispelling a lot of the things that maybe people have in their head, particularly high school coaches, maybe some of because I don't think the players care, right? Like I think that they no. know Louisville went two and ten, but all right, but it's a new group of coaches; they're doing things a new way. The other thing that I'm really interested in is just kind of seeing, and it's you know it's really obvious. There's not like a, there's any way to not spell it out the way it is. I I want to see what's happening. Like I want to see the interaction with the players and the coaches. Like you hear about it in these four or five minute radio interviews, maybe a 30, 45 second video on social media, but I want to see it. Right. right? And I also want to see, you know, some of these players and, and how they're, and I, they're not going to get into a whole lot of X and O's. Right. I think that the quote from Vince Tyro is what um, he said, it'll be broad based. So, you know, right. it won't just be specific to Louisville football. I think it's going to be some athletics things in there, but I personally want to see some of that football stuff. Like you see in hard knocks. I want to see some of the scrimmages and some of the big plays and some of the players that are getting praised by the coaches because I think you will. Yeah. Because they're, what they're not doing right now in the media is singling out guys, uh, which I understand, right? You don't want to give any kind of tips or advantages to any other programs who might listen. And, and, right. you know, because we, nobody knows what this is going to look like come September 2nd. Yeah. Well, Satterfield had to figure it out first before he could even <laughs> talk about other other athletes. I mean, he had to figure out what he was working with to be to begin with. I mean, he even said that in his initial interviews, like, I don't know who the athletes and stars are on this team that that'll fit and highlight what I want to do. You know, he understands. There's obviously you got right. your Des Fitzpatrick's, you got your uh, Becton, you know, you, you got yeah. your big names that you keep hearing about. But I I do think with his new scheme, I think you're gonna see. Uh, breakout stars like we've been kind yeah. of the theme of the summer is right. trying to pick out what these and, what, and what guys are really going to shine in this in this new offense it's near impossible and right we're just we're just picking what we think because right. we don't we don't know like I, you know i've been looking at this roster really heavily the last couple of weeks if we've been as we've been trying to figure out what we're going to do content wise and yeah we can write about how i we think that Russ yeast is going to be great at safety or how we're not sure about how PJ and Banasaur is going to fit at cornerback because he's not in the typical mold of what they like to do. Or on offense, we think that you know Cole Bentley might take a big step forward playing guard, but we don't know any of those things. We have literally no idea what this team is no. going to look like until a depth chart comes out, and I don't think that's going to happen until the week before the game starts. And so I, also, I also don't think that's bad. No, it's not. But for us as fans, we want to kind of have an idea of right. like, where do players stand? Like what you know, yeah. what's going on? Where does you know, where does Jarrett Jackson come out on the depth chart uh, or where does, you know, Boozy Whitlow project? Like it's these guys who we know didn't fit last year. They weren't playing in the right place. They didn't get an amount of playing time, but we have no idea what they're going to do, right. where they're going to be. And I think this show will kind of begin to open it up 
the thing is, we don't know when it's going to, you know, obviously it's not going to air until August. That's a month before the season starts. Right. right. I also think there's going to be a more family atmosphere tied into the show. Just from just from what Satterfield has said repeatedly is that, you know, he likes to have his staff's family like in the building. Like it's just one big family to him. Mm-hmm. And I think, or at least I hope, uh, you know, that aspect is really going to shine through the show as well. Just to, once again, as another recruiting cool recruiting tool tool that is yeah, cool yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, I mean the the yeah. thing the thing that stands out to me is how much that as soon as we see this we're going to dissect everything and uh, if, if you don't think that's true um, I don't know if you guys remember last year when we were watching oh god I um, watched that Alabama State. Or, uh, well, yeah well, well everybody watched the I watched the Florida State all access when we absolutely crushed them and then yep. they were like in the locker room crying afterwards so that was great but no last year they did an Alabama all access it was I don't know how many episodes it was but there was this one clip where somebody had just taken a picture and posted it on Twitter of uh, Nick Saban had like his binders in the background when they were prepping for the game. Right, and it had, oh, had Arkansas, Arkansas yeah. 2000, yeah, 2011 or something that. like that. I think that. it was like 09 or something. Yeah, like yeah it was it something was... crazy. So he's looking at old Bobby Petrino offenses, and everybody was – that was like the radio topic for an entire week that Saban was looking at Bobby Petrino 2011, you know, you know, basically going back and forth. So imagine just like a full hour – you know, every week of, yep. um, you know, they'll probably do some personality stuff on guys like, like you said, Beckton or Fitzpatrick, or I don't know, Cunningham or Pass. Right. Um, I just want to see how Satterfield's mind works, man. Right. Like, that, that's the thing. We knew kind of how Bobby ticked a little bit. For especially sure. Especially yeah. for offensive. Well, I mean, just like in Depending terms on of, what it is, right. like, football schemes and things like that. But Yeah, that's that for me, that's the one thing right now that I am just so hungry for. And, again, they're not going to do it because it, it, why give any sort of advantage to Notre Dame or they're, Eastern Kentucky? They're not going to talk X's and O's until – and I don't know how much they really know. Like, they don't really mm. know who's going to excel. They just are starting to get some of the freshmen on onto the into the fold and they really haven't done much football outside of those 15 practices that they had during the spring right. so i don't even know if they really know or will know yeah. until we get into to the fall camp but i am just dying to hear like yeah but scott satterfield's perfect country accent about the outside linebacker running down or you know playing sound uh technical football and tackling like i'm i'm just dying to hear some football out of him and not the yeah, everything's going great. We're doing good. And everybody's getting better, and we're having fun. Like I want to hear football. I was just surprised he wanted to do something like that. Like one, I didn't realize he had already done a a, a show like this already. Mm-hmm. And and two, that sure. this is the same production company that has already worked with him. So he's going to be comfortable, which is which is awesome. I did the worst thing I want. I didn't want to see was a show forced upon him in his first right, season. Right. He's never been in front of the camera. He's right. very awkward and shy. I'm like, that that's the last thing you want to see. Kind of like you as, know in a head coach. Remember but when, I, I really don't think that's that's gonna be the case this time. Remember when Charlie Strong uh, went to Texas and everybody was like, this is like a nightmare nightmare scenario for Charlie yeah. Strong. He's like just so anti doing anything with the media. Doesn't you know And he went to the one thing. school that has their own network. Yes, he he went Good to a call. school that had their own T V channel that played nothing but Texas twenty four hours a day. Um, in one of the five biggest football schools in the country. <laughs> so good luck with that. But no, it's I don't think that's going to be that that kind of scenario necessarily. Um, um, with Satterfield. So I I think to me, and I guess this will be the last thing that we say about this is just that. Um, I think he's kind of taking a Dabo Sweeney type tra- trajectory. Um, I think they have similar personalities. I think that they came across each other a couple of times. Um, in, in their careers, and, and he reminds me of him a lot. You know, a guy that um, basically came from nothing, that had zero expectation coming into the program he was taking over, and 
Um, you know, obvi- obviously, I don't think the expectations are exactly what you know they shouldn't be. Clemson's high expectations, but um, you'd be silly if you had that kind of personality, um, which Satterfield does, to not make that your goal. No, but I I think to similar trajectory. I mean, when you start to see, he knows how he wants to build his culture and foundation. And to your point, I think a lot of similarities do point to Dabo in terms of the family atmosphere, the positivity, uh, you know, the loving on guys every day kind of thing. Um, you know, we, we've seen what that eventually can produce if done right. Uh, and it's, we're seeing it right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Clemson, what fun murder ball machine is, as Ennis tries to call it and making fun of Alabama. But, but really it, it you know, Kills everybody with kindness. It's crazy. Um, and sometimes I get annoyed with it. But I also understand it. And I, I do think uh, he's on a similar path, though. Yep. And I, I think he ju- – I think like Sweeney, Satterfield kind of just has that brand. He's like that, you know, lovable country boy can, right. you know, kind of say anything in, in his accent and, and get away with it type of thing. Um, and – and have you all seen today what Debo Sweeney I, I just getting yeah. destroyed for I don't I don't know the context of the comment, so I don't really necessarily know if I want to dive too deep in it. Him calling, going into Alabama to recruit kids. He said he basically feels like, you know, Osama bin Dabo. Yeah, or did he say da- Dabo bin Laden? Something I, like I, that. Yeah, but something like that. Osama bin Dabo. I don't Dabo, necessarily know the context to that, but it's one of those things where uh if you guys remember last year, the crazy coach from Hard Knocks, or not from Hard Knocks, from uh, Last Chance U, Jason mm-hmm. Brown, oh, got yeah. fired over the summer uh, or during the school year for telling a German player that he was going to be his new Hitler. Very similar comments, <laughs> right? Like I don't see necessarily where the yes. not not yes. too different there. I mean, messed up. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, I don't want to spend too much time on that. That country accent will get you in trouble if you do say the wrong things, though. So that's. I don't ever think we're going to have that problem. PSA from Jacob. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Let, let's let's talk a little bit about the football recruiting because I think that's the number one hot topic right now amongst Louisville fans. I think that there was – maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe maybe I'm speaking for myself only. Uh, but I think that there was starting to be a little bit of unrest from the fans of, okay, look, North Carolina has a new coach. Georgia Tech has a new coach. There's several programs across the country that have new coaches that are recruiting at a high level whose programs had down years clearly enough to either fire a coach or move on. Um, and up until last week, Louisville held three uh, commitments. And in the last week, they have secured one, two, three, four, five, six, seven commitments in a course of, I think, 12, 13 days, starting with the the safety Zay Peterson uh, out of North Carolina and then ending tonight uh, with the big-time pickup of Kobe Baines, the six foot four, 300-pound offensive lineman out of Jacksonville. With I mean, I think he's probably got the most impressive offer sheet out of any recruit so far. Picked Louisville over the likes of South Carolina, Florida State, Ole Miss, Virginia Tech, um, Michigan. Michigan, yeah. I mean, they, they, the, kid, the kid had, yeah. you know, just short of uh, some of the big powerhouse SEC schools on his offer sheet. Um, and, and you're starting to now see this momentum. Just, I mean, they are really rolling. And the thing that I, I keep kind of going back to is they haven't even played a game yet. Like, there's no wins or losses on their record, and they're, they're recruiting like this. It's right. not great. Don't get me wrong. Like, there's not five stars here, and I I don't think that 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 matters. Like, I don't. I'm not saying that this isn't really really awesome recruiting, um, but I'm still not necessarily gonna jump in the boat of these guys are the best recruiters of all time. No, but but to to a counterpoint to that, um, you know, I think one thing that did get talked about quite a bit when he first got on board, especially with the recruiting concerns, was you know he even mentioned they they do a phenomenal job of identifying talent early. 
and he said the hardest part was when we did identify that talent that we knew would be great and we knew that would fit our system. We just couldn't get them to Appalachian State. Right. I mean, right. you're you're literally two hours away from the nearest airport. I mean, I wouldn't want to take an official visit there. Like, I, I, I totally get it. Right. I think now with the facilities that we have, with the momentum that we have, even even on the basketball side. I mean, he loved taking recruits to the basketball games last year. I mean, that's a whole spectacle in itself. And he said, we didn't even have that angle no. at Appalachian State yeah. to, to, to provide for these recruits. So he's got all these new recruiting weapons around him. It's, and I, I still think you're seeing the talent being identified early, which is why you know a lot of these have, have lower rankings with some mixed offer sheets. Right. I think you're seeing. I do think... Once it's all said and done, these guys really are going to be players that are going to be playing above their their current ratings because, you know, to his point, if we can get in identified talent early and then get them to land at Louisville before they really blow up, uh, whether it be, you know, school offer sheets or or um, skill camps, anything Mm -hmm. like that to boost their rating, we've already got a commitment from them. So, you know, I I really do think they're that aspect is kind of getting overlooked as well sometimes. But yeah, to your point, yes, there have not been any four or five stars yet. I do think there are a few on this current roster right now or a commitment list uh, that will turn into four stars when it's all said and done. But but yeah, I think momentum wise, it's, it's great. Given the situation, I'm not sure that they could be doing a better job than they are. No doubt. Yeah. You're spot Um, on there. Until they're not two and 10 next year, they're going to be two and 10. So, yep. it, you know, next year they go four and eight, and that's an improvement on, you know, on on last – basically, you know, on last season. So anything anything that they can do to, to gain momentum and build momentum, um, regardless of, of how many stars a player has, um, is impressive, yeah. impressive in and of itself. And it kind of tells you – it's telling of, of how good of a job the staff is doing right. at selling culture, at selling a, a rebuild and an opportunity to come in and play right away. Right. Yeah. Is there is there any recruit – I don't know if you guys have the sheet in front of you, but is there any one of them that, that – I mean, we've been covering it now for two weeks. Is there a guy that stands out to you that you're like, like I can't wait to see this guy on the field? Obviously, there's no skill positions yet outside of T-Webb, um, no running backs, no 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 wide receivers, no tight ends. Uh, but is there anybody that kind of stands out as like I can't wait to see him on the field? Yeah, I got one. Um, a little. He might be one of the lesser known or lesser hyped guys, but I really think the the recent one. Uh, you know, Jared Dawson. I think he's gonna be. I mean, w- when you have an IQ that he has, I mean, scored what like a thirty, 30 on that a thirty one. I think yeah, right. Like I mean, yeah. the kid is bright. Right. And it that's one of those players that you can really build your defensive round in right. terms of like he knows he's going to know everything in and out about every scheme mm-hmm. Brian Brown's going to sure. give him. Right. And you need a guy on the field that doesn't get flustered like that during right. close games, during tight games, during fast games, uh, that's going to know what to do in every situation because he can think on his feet. He's right. And if you watch the kids tape, I mean, yes, he's smart, but he's aggressive. Right. I mean, the kid is, he plays with violence, which is, I know some people hate that term, but I kind of like it, when, especially when you're talking about in the trenches and we've gotten our butts kicked mm-hmm. how many years in a row? Um, a lot. In that category. So, yeah, we need some violent guys up right. front. Present about you. I mean, to me, I, I think that T-Web stands out the most. And um, my reason for saying that is he reminds me a lot of the guy that, that preceded him. And I'm not saying that he is going to live up to the expectations. Which is? Who is that guy? Who is... Uh, um, uh, 
Wow, the guy from Trevor Clemson. Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, Thank you. Clemson. Wow. Right. Colin, you How well? do I not? I know. I know. So sorry. Um, so if you don't know, T. Webb was the backup quarterback at Cartersville High School in Georgia, behind uh, Trevor Lawrence, who was the breakout player of the year last year as a freshman at Clemson, led his team to a national championship, mm-hmm. beat out a guy who won the national championship in front of him uh, for that spot. Right? Did he win the national? Uh, Kelly Bryant? No. Well, at least led his team to the national championship in front of him. I can never remember who won the national championship. It's it never fails. Clemson or Alabama. Flip a coin. Within the it's last either couple, Alabama the last or last few years. Uh, regardless, um, Kelly Bryant. Or excuse me. Wow. Trevor Lawrence, the real deal. One of the best players. One of the best quarterbacks to come out of high school in a long, long time. Yeah. T. Webb played behind him, and right. now um, he has been on Louisville's radar for six years. I mean, re- got received an offer in, in seventh grade, which is kind of ridiculous from a, from a guy who was it Garrick McGee that offered yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. So he received an offer from Garrick McGee. Who, Can't visit high schools, but yeah. we will definitely throw offers at seventh graders. At seventh graders, sure. He's trying to get a, get ahead of things. Makes sense. Yep. Um, but regardless, anyways, he uh, <laughs> he honored his his uh, first scholarship offer um, with a commitment. Um, but regardless, no, T-Webb is a guy that will remind you a lot of, of Trevor Lawrence uh, with just he's, – he's very much a traditional pocket-style passer, um, but he is not afraid to get outside the pocket um, and, and run a little bit. Yeah. Um, he's kind of a do-it-all kind of guy, and he has a cannon too. Yeah. Um, the so kid throws long balls. Yes, he's, I mean, he's, he's, got, he's got a heck of an arm. So Yeah, and the one thing I think I like about him – uh, is the, the fact swoop. that he's not yeah that's that's really nice too but he's not afraid of competition and I say that because I think that Scott Satterfield has made it very clear that they're going to take multiple quarterbacks in this class and in this day and age in recruiting mm-hmm. um, you see these these players aren't uh, willing or wanting to go in and compete for a position they kind of wanted handed it to him um, and and Webb was like look man I'm all in on the coaching staff I'm all in on the program I'm not worried about I'm not worried about whoever. Uh, whoever it is that you bring in or what you guys do, I'm, I'm here and I'm committed to, to doing what I'm going to do, and I think that's pretty cool. For me, the guy that I'm really excited about um, is Zay Peterson. I think that he's – if you if you look at when Louisville football was at its best, you, know, you can argue that the Lamar Jackson year in – was that 16, 15, 16? Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, record-wise and the way that they played up until the very end was some of the most impressive football we've seen, but – Sound uh, football, fundamental-wise, Charlie Strong's defenses were when Louisville was at its best, and he reminds me so much of Calvin Pryor, the way that he Agreed. lurks in the backfield and is able to find the ball, find a defender, and lay the wood on them. Oh, my gosh. And we haven't had that in since, I would say, probably since James Sample. I mean, he was only here for one year. He's the last intimidating safety that I can really remember. Uh, maybe Josh Harvey Clemens, who was kind of that, that – safety linebacker mold just because of how big he was um but i think zay peterson is going to kind of bring that ferocity back into our defense the way that he's not afraid to go and hit people i mean the last few years we haven't even had dudes who could tackle let alone right. l- actually you know absolutely just go take somebody's head off it. right exactly right. right i remember uh writing this this quick article about zay peterson when he first committed uh last week in i was i was just sitting in bed typing it up and uh, i was watching his highlight tape and I looked over, and even my fiance stopped what she was doing to watch his highlight tape, which is impressive because she could give two craps about high school right. highlight videos. But even she noticed it, which is impressive. So if you can, if you can like lure people in with your highlight tape, and I mean, yeah, 
that dude's yeah. He's he's on all highlight tape, all American team for sure. Like yeah. like he's he's in he's on a Brandon Radcliffe level highlight tape. Yeah, for sure. And and I you know I but we've kind of hit at this, but I, I don't think by any means they're done. You know, in the near future, I think that you could very easily see, you know, a couple more commitments in the next few weeks. Um, Who's on your radar? Who, who do you think is who do you think is the the next kind of big name guy. So if I had to put my money on it, I, I, you know, I think that Timothy Lawson, who is just named Louisville in his, in his top three yesterday is committing on Saturday morning down to Louisville, North Carolina state, North Carolina. I think that he makes a lot of sense. Uh, the thing is, is how, how often do you see programs go, you know, two tackles in a, in a matter of a few days, um, keeping it at the offensive line position. I think Luke Kandra from Cincinnati is another guy, an offensive guard that you could very easily see commit soon. And then I think the name that everybody, literally everybody, wants to know about is Chubba Purdy, which that's the first time I've said it out loud, and it, it, it just, felt good. It felt good. It felt good. It felt. It kind of like tickles when you say it. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna skip over that. I don't even know how to respond to that. But, Chubba Purdy. Yeah, I, I think he's the that guy that, nice. that, that, nice. that most every fan knows about. Has watched his tape. Is is. I would say that he's probably the most talked about recruit. Uh, in years, in in terms of you know fan excitement, because of the position he plays and because of the type of football he plays, which is uh, throw the ball and run the ball, uh, something we haven't really seen, you know, obviously in, with Lamar, but at least outside like three of that, months. yeah, yeah, <laughs> and he is with, a little bit of a different body type too, because uh, I know he's showing right here on two four seven. He's six two two ten right now is mm-hmm. what they have him at, and I know T Webb's is six four one eighty five. So. To his point, I mean, T. Webb is more of a pro style, yeah, sit in yes, the pocket yes, kind of quarterback. For sure. They it, can they can launch it down the field, but then you have yeah. what Louisville fans are probably more accustomed to right. coming off Lamar Jackson, yeah, it, seemingly Cunningham, all these guys that can now just really run the ball just as well as they can throw it. It's kind of the reverse of Malik Cunningham and and Jawan Pass right now, where um, you know. You have a bigger guy in, in Jawan who's able to kind of well I, mean, I don't know but Jawan's able to kind of stand in the pocket he's bigger he's heavier he, he doesn't move well um what as I should well. say right, as, well. as well what I should say is Chubba Purdy is a good combination of Malik and Jawan which yes. is I think what we can all agree is what they're looking for is a guy it. who can run and a guy who can pass I think Jawan has the arm that they're kind of looking for whereas Malik has the legs that they're looking for but neither one of them do what. You know, they don't kind of bring it all in together of what they're looking for. Um, so I think for me, I mean, Purdy is the guy that everybody is going to continue to kind of salivate over, as well as the the, the two Louisville kids and uh, Minkins and, and Watkins, who uh, I got to say, I don't know which one of them it was. The picture with Gunnar Brewer was just incredible, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. I just want Chubba to commit soon just so I can go to my first – football game next season and say like that's a purdy jersey like like literally i like i'll think all off season of just the worst dad jokes with that name but i think the best one's going to be chubba goes deep i mean that that is going when you hear when you hear sean moth say that man i'm gonna lose it. i think that's fantastic like, there's so many so many great dad puns and uh innuendos in we're just going to stick with the last name puns Purdy. For the for the sake of this show. For the sake of the, we got to keep it G rated <laughs> for the for all the grandmas out there listening. Let, let's transition from recruits into the the current roster, uh, and just kind of an update um, of how things are going. We haven't heard from a lot of the coaches in a couple of months. Uh, and yesterday, uh, for those who um, tune into Sports Talk Radio, uh, Markin has had several several of the coaches on and uh, a couple of the players. 
And there was a question that he asked that when he asked it, I was super excited. We talked about this a few minutes ago. I wanted to hear for the first time a coach say, this is the guy, right? And Mark used the example of Bilal Powell in the first year of Charlie Strong transitioning from Steve Crackthorpe and who was going to be the guy that was going to be the face of the program. And we obviously saw what Bilal did. And Mark Mark tossed it out like that to Court Dennison, the, the new co-defensive coordinator, linebacker coach, recruiting extraordinaire. And how Court responded took me by surprise. It, I, I think it, at first I wanted to – I kind of thought of it, this is coach speak. And then the more it kind of sank in, uh, the more I, I quickly began to believe him. And let me just read this quote to you. Again, think of it in the context of Mark asking, who's the guy that is bought in the most, is going to be the face of the program, is the leader of the team? Gordon Dennison responds, and he says, the whole team is bought in. It's night and day. The kids who are all here, every single kid is all bought in, and they all want to do whatever it takes to win. And this is, again, keep in mind, this is a team last year where the players literally quit the first time they went down, right? Yep. So this is, what, five months, six months later? Yes. Uh, he continued on. He said, are there people stepping up as leaders, whether they're seniors or whether they've played and becoming more vocal? Yes. Just from January to now, seeing the drastic change within our culture is night and day. He called it the best environment he's ever been around as a coach. And this is a guy who just came from Oregon, a program that had, a, I believe, a top five, top ten recruiting class, recruited yep. the number one player in the country. He goes on to say, there's no egos. There's no entitlement. Everyone gets along. Uh, referring to the coaching staff, we mesh extremely well. The staff is unbelievable. We do everything together, and our families are always around. That's why these kids hear the word culture, but they want to see it, and they're seeing it as a reflection from us. When they see our families around all the time, when they see how bought in as a staff, that's huge for them too. And this is this is the icing on the cake, he says. We aren't just saying one thing. We're doing it. We're living it, which is huge for our culture. When you guys hear that, what are your what are your your thoughts? Yeah, it's a that's a, it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to process. But I mean, the thing that stood out to me the most was that he had been with the program um, within the last two years with Lamar. Correct, with Lamar, with them being a top five, top three team at one point, with them you know being favorites to win the ACC and so on and so forth. Um, and he thinks that now, including you know. His time, you know, he played played college football at Washington. Um, he's kind of made his way up the ranks. Um, and he's been at Louisville, at Oregon, and now back to Louisville. And he says this is the best that he's been around. Um, when you hear something like that, again, he could just be saying that to say that, that, you know, try to, you know, get everybody riled up, and, you know, which is fine, which is an uh, effective, um, effective comment, I guess. But to me, um, you know, he sounded pretty sincere about it being, um, one of the best environments he's been in, um, which is huge because, right. you know, you look at the, the way that Louisville basically ended the season last year against Kentucky with players getting in fights with coaches on the sidelines, you know, um, with just like, I mean, just the entire team just in shambles, like people yeah. just like not even making it back to the locker room, like no. yelling at each other. Like that that's ridiculous. Like it's like you had some of the coaches more dejected than the actual like yes, it, players. it's yeah. The coach is more upset than players. Players not caring. Some players, you know, like the week before, you know, going to a to a meeting basically just didn't show up and went to a concert instead. Like, I mean, there's all kinds of just just crazy stuff going on that you know the entire team was just completely out of control. Um, and to go from that and in basically what six seven months all of a sudden have a coach saying it's one of the best environments he's been around. Right. Um, to me, that means I feel like that the team was humbled from last year. Um, I think that when you have a, when you have a, 
such a losing mentality when you're losing games 70 to 7 or 70 to 14 or whatever it is, you know, 77 to 17. Like that's like that that's that's humbling. You know, you go from you know, all these guys even even if it is like a two or three star guy, most of these guys are extremely successful high school football players right. for them to be playing at, in, at at a power five school. I was going to say um, a lot of that's the biggest thing I think the average fan does not get is that even with a, a three-star kid, most of the time, these kids have grown up being the best player on their teams. Oh, yeah. No doubt. And, and, and so you get you get to a school, you finally get to a D1 program. Your whole life's goal is to really get to a top program at a Power 5 school. You right. finally get that. And now you have you're a, getting you have blown a year up. like that, where you're basically the worst team, in, right. in not just in the Power Five, but in all of college football. Right. So not only is that gonna, you know, obviously everyone knows about, you know, Puma's confidence issues, which were, mm-hmm. hey, I totally get that after how they handled you last Same. season. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, so you you kind of take him, but I think it it was kind of a, a microcosm of he kind of represented every other player on that team to where like they're not. They've lost a game before, but they've never been in that type of season. They've never been dog walked by Wake Forest. Like, you know, like they've never, like teams like Western Kentucky came in with clearly. I mean, Louisville should have been 1 in 11 last year. A a clear talent discrepancy, and you basically get beat by, like, I I can't even think of a comparison. Like, it's, you know, they were what, 35 point, 40 point favorites or something like that going into that game? It'd be like Appalachian State. Yeah, right, right. I don't know. Something. Maybe not that big of a discrepancy, but pretty dang close. I'm just trying to throw a Satterfield reference. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Um, And, and, I mean, I mean, there's so much to have to work on and turn around um, in a matter of this much time. And And I really think that, and I think Mark alluded to this yesterday, the bad apples. The very few amount of them are gone. Right, they're mm-hmm. gone. Like I, I really believe Court when he says that every player has bought in. Um, and from what I've heard from some of the players, and I think it'd be interesting to hear from somebody who has a better, um, you know, sources or people inside the program to hear kind of what they've heard. But from what I've heard, I mean, this is what they say and what they do is it syncs up and that's not what you see a lot of the times with with college coaches or any coaches in general they they say one thing to get what they want and then things go a different way um and the thing that i'm trying to fight through right now and and i think a lot of Louisville fans are, are like this is how do i temper my expectations because I think that there is a lot of talent on this football team. I think that 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 narrative is false when people say there's not much left. Bobby left this program in shambles. Bobby left this program poorly mismanaged roster wise. Right, right. But there is a lot of talent on that. Absolutely. And I think that had had they been able to bring in the recruiting class of 2019 that they were on track to bring in before the new staff was brought in, I think you would have started to see the program fall apart talent wise because I think that there was a significant drop off from what they had done in 2018, 2017. There's a lot of talent on this team, and what does it look like when you have 83 players, you know, or whatever? I think they're the 80 scholarship players right now. What does that look like for 80 scholarship players with solid coaching who care for each other, who care for their coaches, and want to go out there and win football games? How does that translate quickly? Well, I, I think it's going to happen. Like I, I think they're going to win more games than we think, but also at the same time, I could see them losing more games because right. they're not. Maybe some of those players we think that the three and four star guys were where we thought they should be aren't there. I think that things could be competitive. I think that's the best way to explain it, and I think that people will be satisfied with that. You know, I think if you play 
Syracuse to a 31 to 27 game. That's a lot more exciting than last year when UofL went up there and lost what 50 to 14 or something. I'm not looking at the score. I, yeah, I don't, I don't remember the score. I don't care to remember the score. Um, <laughs> but I think that the the record might not reflect the change because there was such a there was such a um, a wide gap between them and teams with similar talent. Uh, I think if you look at when you talk about tempering expectations, Jacob, it, it's difficult to temper expectations when you say, okay, let's look at this Louisville football team and then look at Wake Forest or look at this Louisville football team and how do they stack up against Boston College, Syracuse, Virginia, right. Miami, all these teams that they're going to be playing this year that right. if they came from you know, two or three years of, of developing depth and um, – you know, having the same coaching staff and the same schemes and the same workout programs and, you know, playing with the same guys every day. Um, I think if you look at Louisville and then you look at those teams, you're like, oh, well, they are clearly a better team. But when you look right. at a team that basically just had to restart, um, hit the re- reset button and start over from scratch, right? Um, all of a sudden you have a lot of guys that there's going to be a confidence issue still. There's going to be miscommunication. Um, I, I know, like, yeah, the, yeah. like the the false starts and the offsides and the turnovers and the um, oh gosh, if there's false the, starts, man, the, I'm gonna lose my mind. That kind of You're stuff, lose but your mind. that stuff's not gonna go away. It's not like the first the first game against Notre Dame. If they have less than ten penalties, that's a win. What? Okay, let me ask you this question. This Dead is a little serious. bit off script here. What are the if you had to? I'm trying to think. I'm not a betting guy, so I don't know how to phrase this question. What are the odds of an offsides on the first play of Louisville's offensive possession when they get on the field? What what are if you're playing ten to one? You ten, 10 to one. one. What do you yeah. think? I'm gonna say like twenty five to one. Here's twenty five to one. Do you <laughs> do you want to be the lineman that messes up and then has to go talk to to Ledford on the somewhere Bobby Petrino I mean, would that, be laughing so hard that, if the first play of the game was an offsides. That, that's the thing. There I can totally see it just because of the jitters and the nerves. I'm gonna put it at even money. Like I think it's a very good chance. Yeah. The first play is just the, the there's so much like built up energy. Mm-hmm. Louisville fans, there would be the sigh that you would hear from because I think that I think it's gonna be sold out. Like like yes. I think there'll be a good amount of Notre Dame fans there looking for revenge. Twenty three thousand five hundred Notre Dame. Yeah, fans. and I think and and I think it was Mark Blankenberger said this this week. He asked Mark Ennis, I think it'll be the first time we don't see the Adidas logo. Yeah, no, that, I think we said year, that we said that the last podcast. You and I, I sat yeah, up yeah. there a bunch last year, yeah. and, and that, we were I mean, the only ones. Like, we were, you were, you might have we somebody. A couple times. You might have fun. had somebody fifteen seats over from you. Now yeah. the closest there was, very relaxed. <laughs> yeah, right. But like, <laughs> there was a man like napping, yeah. like oh, sideways. Me and Jacob called each yeah. other during the Western game and waved at each other. Yeah, I could hear him. Yeah, from we could fifteen hear each other. sections <laughs> over, like. But I'm just like I, I'm. I say this jokingly, but like if there is a false start, the sigh of the fans in Cardinal Stadium will be. It'll be hilarious. He, here's it'll also thing. suck though. The beer lines will get really long all yeah. of a sudden. <laughs> when I did that initial article, just to touch on each specific uh, specialty coach right. uh, on the football team, I think one thing I really took out of it was not just a deeper understanding of of every guy on that staff now, but. But the significance of having Lev- Ledford specifically, yes. because right. that was our greatest weakness, and Satterfield pulled in what I think is is one of, if not the best lineman coach right now. In oh, college, no, no in doubt, football. no doubt, no doubt. And, and looking at the stats of what he turned around so quickly at NC State, I think um, I'm just rattling off from what I I think I typed up. 
but they basically had gone from like 40 sacks the previous year and he came in the first year and they were already almost cut in half like 22 or something because from what i get from him is it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to clean up the stupid penalties to clean up the offsides to to basically do the sloppiness part of what we saw with petrino's offense or whatever it was last right. year. I mean, it, it doesn't take a whole lot of motivation or effort to execute the small things. And I think Ledford, to that point, is not only going to teach them how to be more aggressive, better technique, all that stuff. I think he's just going to clean it up in general. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. that was the big thing is just not only the confusion piece and different schemes and we're letting guys go through the gaps and all the stuff. He's going to probably pump the brakes and say, hold on, let, let's get let's get the, you know, the foundations set first because right. I, I think that's the big thing especially when you have such a depleted offensive uh line still which we do since we only have a handful of scholarship guys right now on there sure. you have to make sure even the non-scholarship guys are doing the right things correctly every yeah. single play right during practice all these things because he's probably gonna have to rely on them at some point throughout the season yeah so l- let me just throw this in here real quick because you talked about your initial article that you wrote 43 sacks was the number the Louisville allowed last season under Mike Summers, and I don't put any of that blame on Mike Summers. I'm not even going to go there, well, but I don't He should have already been in retirement. Exactly, right. Like you saw him take a job this year and retire seven, like six or seven weeks later. So, like, I don't want to blame him. But then you go – so keep that number in the back of your head. 43 sacks allowed last season. Uh, in 2015, the year before, Dwayne Ledford became the offensive line coach at NC State, 39 sacks. So okay. similar it, numbers. Four sacks less, right? Yep. 2016 in his first season they go to 17 sacks allowed. Yeah. I'm not good Crazy. at math, but that's a pretty good percentage improvement. That's solid. Jump to 2017 his second year, 13 sacks allowed. 2018, mm-hmm. 9 sacks. Ryan yeah. Finley was sacked 8 times last year. Right. We wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. No, if- I think Louisville had less than 8 sacks defensively last year. Like mm-hmm. I, maybe, yeah. I think it was like 11 maybe. But yeah. but point being, I I think that that's going to be a big area of improvement. But it goes back to that tempering expectations thing. I think that we all expect Mekhi Becton to be a first-round talent. You talk to a lot of football junkies, one of them uh, being on our team. They say, maybe not. Slow down. And I don't want to dog the kid. I think that he is extremely talented. But maybe that position that he's at is not where he's best suited. You look at a guy like Cole Bentley, we all expected him to take a huge step forward last year and really regressed, really struggled. Center spot is a question mark. You have a graduate transfer and TJ McCoy coming in. Maybe Cole slides over to that center spot. But if you remember, he struggled there as a freshman. Yes. Pretty pretty big. Yeah. He, he really struggled at that. That's not his natural position. Um, the right tackle spot. Caleb Chandler, maybe. Tyler Haycraft is a guy, is a former walk-on that people were talking about. Maybe. Maybe it's Renato Brown, one of the freshmen coming in. I think Chandler is probably the most likely guy to fill that void. And then at your guard spot, you don't have another mauler on your offensive line. That's a problem when you're an offensive line that predicates yourself on running the football. So I think that we kind of have to, again, temper expectations um, because I think that there's going to be a lot of improvement, but how much, I don't know, not because of the coaching, but because of the pieces that are there. Right. I think it's going to be a great mix of both. I think Ledford's obviously, like, even listening to him in his recent interviews, he's not going to be satisfied with, you know, I'm sure a lot of the games that are close and tight, he's still going to have a lot of things he's going to be frustrated with. But even a struggling offensive line core to him 
is probably going to equate to significant improvement for it's us. It's not going to be 43 sacks. I can guarantee That's you that. That's the thing is, is I want people to understand is, you know, his him saying we really need to temper expectations, you know, it's not going to be really what I want it to be. That's still going to be light years ahead of what we've seen True. the last season or two. The last I mean, several seasons, because even when Louisville was at its best with some of those lines that had, uh, like the Jerron Christian years, I mean, they still gave up a hell of a lot of sacks, and and that was with the guy with Lamar Jackson who could get out of the pocket. I mean, imagine. I still he, have nightmares about that Houston game. I mean, that he, was. Yeah, that's a whole other yeah. story. But uh, in terms of, you know, I, one of the things I talked about earlier again, I've said this several times, the coaching staff right now is not in a spot where I guess they feel like they can begin to name individual players, whether that be they don't know, whether that be they want to keep that in the in their back pocket or whether or not they don't want to give their players big heads and begin to kind of, you know, quickly see guys stop trying. You, you, you see that pretty often, but in your mind, who is a guy that it, maybe it's one, maybe it's two, you know, we've talked about some of the units. Who is a guy that is crucial to the success of this football team? Like who is one guy that, you know, if Louisville is going to play well and win football games, this guy is going to have a big season. Mm, that's a, I, to me, I think it's it's got to be a position player. It, it, it's got to be a, a you know one one of the skill position guys. Well, right, because you want the you want the offensive and defensive line to play as a unit. Correct. I, correct. I, I do agree with you that I think it's going to have to come from an individual as performance. Right. You know, whether it be a running back, wide receiver. In um, my in my mind, um, I think there's three people that really really come to mind immediately on on the offensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, I think two two Atwell. Yeah. Um, I think Hassan Hall, um, and I think um, what is the what is the freshman running back's name? Super quick guy. Oh, um, Javion Hawkins. Yeah, well, was freshman right. last year. Yeah, J- Javion Hawkins. Um, so I think the two the two speedster running backs in Hall and Hawkins, and I think Tutu Atwell. To me, um, you don't necessarily need a ton of tremendous blocking um, and perfect timing. In on plays, if you have guys who, if you just get them out in the open field, that they can just make a play on their own. And with those three guys, um, regardless of how um, good or bad the blocking is, how tremendous the play calling is, um, when you have three skill position players like that, um, that can kind of just make plays on their own. Right. Um, you don't necessarily need Juan Pass or Malik Cunningham or whoever's in the pocket to make a perfect throw. Um, you know, just basic, you know, screen passes or, yeah. um, you know, just little little plays across the middle that can change the the course of the game. And I know we just talked about, you know, individual uh, individual performances and whatnot, but I think to your point, just the core group of running backs we're going to see are probably going to be the make or break for me on offense because one, you know. You start getting into how did Satterfield run his offense at App- Appalachian State? Yep. We haven't. What did we say in the last podcast? Uh, the last running back at Louisville. Below Powell was the last running back to hit at Louisville a thousand. Yeah, thousand. Yep. yeah. Back, all the way back in what? Oh, oh. 2011? Was that 11? I believe so. Yeah. I think it was 2011. So I think looking more at what he did at App State. Scheme wise, I think to your point, you're gonna see a lot of fun plays, mm-hmm. even even if they are running plays and talk in terms of sweeps, in terms of anything um, that you know Hassan Hall, all these speedsters can use. I'm honestly, I want to see 
a cohesive mix of him utilizing those guys so Day William can see more consistency. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. I really want him to have a year because the his career so far, obviously with with injuries and whatnot, like everyone's just waiting for him to have really, really have a great breakout year. Mm-hmm. And I I don't think it's gonna be as much competition as it is complimentary when you have these younger, smaller speedsters that can do the plays that you're probably not gonna be the best at. Right. But once your time comes because you're you're opening up right up the middle now, Dave William time. I'm, yeah. I'm, or yeah. or even I'm just excited to see them work together to figure out the best you know, yeah. schematic scheme, schemes for the running backs. Yeah, and the thing that's, that'll be different this year is you won't – you. so Louisville has had for the last several years, they've had a lot of different backs that have been complementary, but what's not been shown is the, the ability to use them correctly. Right. right. So last year and even the year before, we saw Colin Wilson get hot and then come out of the game, not start again. We saw Hassan Hall last year get hot, come out of the game. My hope this year is that you see a guy, if he's hot, give him the ball. Yes. You get to the goal line, give a guy like Dave Williams the ball. Give a guy like mm-hmm. Aiden Robbins the ball. Give Tobias Little, who is a bruiser. Give him, like They're going to have pieces, and you're finally going to see a staff that knows how to use them correctly. Right. Mm-hmm. I really have a lot of faith in Norvell McKenzie, the new running backs coach, to be able to teach his guys, one, how to hold on to the football, two, how to get into the end zone, how to make smart plays. Um, and then and Statterfield not being like Bobby in a sense of uh, – You've carried the ball five times in a row, and you've gotten 25 yards. Let's not yank you out. Let's keep going. Like let's let's feed the hot hand. Right. right. Um. And yeah. So I think I think that's going to be a big thing for me. The guy who I think kind of is, if I I, I don't think it's going to be obviously in football. It's a lot different than basketball. There's not going to be one guy who is the make or break. The guy that I think is going to be most crucial to this offense and and the whole team is Des Fitzpatrick. And I say that because. We have one of the most talented receivers in the country. Like there is no denying that. And last season, I think part of the issue was you could not, you couldn't get him the ball because there wasn't enough time to throw. I mean, they, no. Jawan had maybe, maybe on a good play, two seconds. If you're getting sacked four times a game, I would say that two to three of those at least are on plays that were designed to go go to a player like Fitzpatrick or or, or Jalen Smith. For sure, and. Uh, it's yes, it's laughable, but when you look at highlights for Des Fitzpatrick, when he got the ball, he made things happen. Absolutely. And for a guy who broke a lot of records as a freshman, I think that the the ball has to be put in his hands. And to do that, you have to you have to have a quarterback, one who can throw the football in a, in a bunch of different ways, because he is an elite route runner. There is mm-hmm. no denying that. Um, and and an offense that's predicated on the run game. You have to be able to to not just do one thing well. Like you have to be able to like yes, you need to be able to run the football well, and you need to be able to dominate on the ground. But you need to be able to keep a defense on their toes. And for Louisville, getting the ball into his hands because of how dynamic he is is going to be crucial. And for a quarterback who may not be able to make a forty-yard throw down the field, hitting Dez in space on a seven-yard wheel route or a seven-yard curl and letting Dez turn it into forty yards is going to be the difference between winning and losing some football games. In my right. opinion. Well, and you're also talking about potentially setting yourself up for the longevity of the wide receiver position because if he's happy and his father's happy that and means the Christian, offense is yeah. rolling, you can get Christian in here and have another what will probably be the top wide receiver to commit if he yeah, you if know, he were like, right, right. In a perfect world and if he did come to Louisville, he probably would be instantly, you know, the top wide receiver could be the number one player in the class. Right, exactly. And no that, doubt. He'd be the star. Like he's your headline yes. guy. They're yes. already talking about him 
just I mean, like I, the kid's going to get a slew of major offers. Right. I mean, like, I, he's you already, see already yeah, yeah, for sure. Michigan, Penn State, like he's already there. And, and I, th- I, th- I really think the big thing his father wants to see. I think Fitz Senior just wants to see. Obviously, he's keeping a tab on on everything the staff is doing, especially getting yeah. an inside source from his other son. Uh, you know, nothing but positive things coming out from Dez. I think he wants to see how this season plays out. Yeah. I think he really wants to see how does this translate to the success on the field, whether or not might be wins, but if my son gets the ball a lot more than he did last season, that probably bodes well for my future son. Right. And I think he's probably a little conserved because Satterfield's offense is is run heavy. Right. Is run heavy. How many targets is Des really gonna get? Right. So you if you're if you're a Christian, you know, you're you're thinking, All right, well, Obviously, I love Louisville because, you know, my brother's there. My I've followed him, you know, for years now. But this new coach, I love the vibe of him. But this might not be the good fit for me right. um, mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of an offense that might not get me the ball as much as I want. I, I do think that's a legitimate concern. For sure. But also, let's see how this plays out. Yeah, and I think that, real quick, when it comes to Dez, I think what makes him so special and what he's going to bring to this offense is because of the fact that he's an elite route runner. You can you can run a you know a, a quick three-yard slant and get the ball out of Jawan or Malik's hands very quickly, knowing that maybe your offensive line is not set up to, to block long-term. Um, and, and I think that that was the, that's going to be a huge difference in this offense is you're going to see the ball out of Juwan or Malik's hands or Evan Conley's hands quick. Like right. they're not mm-hmm. going to drop back. They, they're probably going to set themselves up in the shotgun, obviously, because they're really heavy, um, with the, with the run pass option, but you're going to see them rely on a guy like Des who's got speed, who's got, who's got a really, really smart football IQ, be able to say, okay, Des, here's what you're going to do. You're going to run a quick three. You're going to, you're going to set up and run, you know, this, your, this three yard slant, or you're going to run a seven yard uh, curl and we're going to get you the ball real quick. Like that, right. that's going to be kind of mm-hmm. what the offense does when they throw the football. Right. And that's going to be really important because of the fact that the offensive line may not be able to block for long. Right. And, and Juwan or Malik isn't necessarily a quarterback who can make all of the throws. Well, and I think Satterfield's repeated that many times in his interview so far is that one, he's not looking at the QB spot right now to be the superhero of the team. He needs him. I think we even said it last week. He needs him to be a game manager, mm-hmm. not an all-star QB. And he also said that he likes to put the ball in playmakers hands and then give them the opportunity to make that play. Right. So to your point, I really do think it will be a lot more short to intermediate range. It has passes. to be. And, and that's where you rely on what Bobby said last year. You have so much speed on this roster. Right. But is it going to be used in a way that makes sense? Like, are you going to be having uh, Tutu Atwell run forty-yard, you know, go routes when he's five foot six and he's going to be covered by a six-foot corner? Or are you going to have him run some quick over-the-field slants and get him the ball yeah, in space, like a speed, speed wheel out or when something? When you think, right. yeah. when you think about Bobby Petrino's offense, do you think slow developing or do you think quick? It's all of his stuff is slow developing. Everything is is you get the offense moving one way, and then he, all of a sudden you have a screen pass, pass Tra- out this way. Traditional Bobby offense, yes. with no Lamar, absolutely right, right. right. That offense is set up in a similar way to Satterfield's in that they're going to run the ball a lot, but they're not going to do it out of the shotgun. They're not going to do a lot of creative things. You're going to have that wheel route, which the wheel route is the longest route to run in the world. Like I've done mm-hmm. it on Madden a thousand times. I love it, but you got to have more than like. You gotta have like ten seconds for that running back to get out and then get up the field. Like yep. and I think that's gonna be a difference is you're gonna see guys like Javian Hawkins, uh Keon Wakefield, uh uh Tutu Atwell and I'm excited to see what Aiden Robbins can 
Yeah, if he's healthy. Like, yeah, he, he, there's I a mean, good chance he may not even play this year. Like, we have no idea. Torn ACL mm-hmm. is really hard to come back yeah. from. And when you have 12 running backs ahead of you, maybe it's smart to redshirt. But yeah, I agree to your point. There's so many weapons on the offense, and it's so refreshing to know that we're going to have a coach who knows how to use them. And all it takes is just turning on a little bit of, of an App State game and just seeing some of the creative things that they did with their offense with way less talent. We said this with Chris Mack last year when he took over Louisville, and I, I firmly believe – this is the most talented team from top to bottom that Scott Satterfield has ever coached in his life. Oh, hands down. Hands, hands down. down. Not and, even and, close. And and yeah, it might not be up to par with what some of the other ACC programs have are able to do. Obviously, it's not a Clemson. It's not an NC State. It's not at Miami right now. But can you compete against some of the Florida States, the Wake Forests, the, the Boston Colleges, the Virginias, the some of these other ACC schools and maybe steal a sixth game, maybe steal a fifth and a sixth game. I think so. Like I really, I, I really do. Or you can't, you can't steal my bold prediction. I'm not going that, to, but I'm not, crap. I'm not going to do that. I won't. No, I, I firmly believe. I, I like the fact that four games is, is the consensus like bar of what we're talking about. I, I know. I think a couple yeah. national, um, media things came out to where I think what three and a half games was like the over under yeah, or something three and like a half. that. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that number just from the fact that, you know, I, I hate to bring up bad juju here, uh, but, you know, what Brom did in his first year at Purdue, because they they came off, yeah, I mean, just decades of just right. mediocrity. and right. so It's been play. since Drew Brees was in college. No one were, thought he was yeah. going to win. Six games. No no one thought he was making it to a bowl his first game. There was not a chance in hell he was supposed to make it to a bowl game in his first season. Uh, and they, and, I mean, in his first year, they almost beat Louisville and Indianapolis. Second right. year, they beat Ohio State. Because all of, it takes yeah. is that team believing to not only just believe yeah. in each other, but like the unified belief yeah. is so strong. It's crazy. And, and I, 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 sorry to interrupt, but I no, hate, you're to, good. hate to make those comparisons because of the, the situation with, with Brum and Louisville and kind of the animosity maybe um, between between he and, and Louisville fans now. But um Louisville has a lot more talent than a team like that. Um, and, and all it took, as you saw last year, to kind of get them like really rolling was just to have one really good player. And I'm not saying that anybody should be expected to be um, – dang, what's his name? The, the guy for, for Purdue. The All-American. Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore. Jeez, I'm bad with names tonight. Um, but I, I don't think anybody should be expected to be Rondell Moore. But you have guys with that kind of skill set. Um, right. on this team. So, I mean, I think that there's a lot of parallels that you can draw between right. between a program like that and, and Satterfield coming in, into Louisville. Um, and I think there's a lot of kids hungry on that team, just like Des Fitzpatrick. I can't talk either. But there's a lot of kids on this team that are hungry to prove themselves because right. they didn't get the chance last year. Would you be shocked if Louisville made a bowl game this year? That just, That's my official bold prediction is uh, – is, not just a four-win base minimum. I think, I think we are gonna uh, pull out a win in at FSU. I, I think that's realistic, especially the more I look at FSU this year. Um, I don't think Taggart still hasn't really turned around nearly as far as he thought he would at this point in time. So I do think if we are playing as a team uh, and and they truly believe they can win that game, I think we can go down and, and make an upset. And all it takes is one game you're not supposed to win right, for exactly. a team to think they can beat anybody. Right. And, that and that's could, what makes a team dangerous. And I think what's going to get this team set off on the right foot is playing Notre Dame to a 14-point game, maybe a 17-point maybe a game, a 10-point mm. game like – 
Like you're not going to beat, um, you're not going to beat them. Like when they're a top five team, you're coming off a two and 10 team, a uh, two and 10 season, but it, it, it's getting a little pep in your step by competing for a half, competing for three quarters, playing it somewhat close and then winning. They're going to, uh, hopefully they're going to win two in a row, right? You go and hopefully. you beat EKU, you beat Western and Nashville, and then you head into that fourth game, which I believe is Boston College, if I'm not mistaken. And that game is at home. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't. I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I believe that that's the case. Uh, and Boston College is one of those games that it can kind of be coupled with NC State. It can be put in there with with a Virginia. It can be put in there with a Wake Forest. Like those are some of the games that like are 50-50. And if you win two or three of those, that changes everything. And right. like you said, if you steal a game you're not supposed to get, which is that Miami, maybe Kentucky, maybe Florida State. Uh, maybe NC State, maybe Virginia. Like if you get two of those, like it's a completely different ball game, right? And right. you're looking at legitimately going to a bowl game. So it's the the start of the season this year is Notre Dame, Eastern Kentucky, Western Kentucky, Newport Field at Florida State, at Florida State, and okay. then they have a week off. Then they come home for Boston College, then go back to Wake Forest. Yeah, I, I don't think it's unrealistic to win four games in a row. Like I mean, uh, I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but uh, if you beat Florida State, that this is the this is going to be the worst Florida State team we have seen in plenty in plenty of time. Like, if a our long team time. last year should have beaten Florida State the way our team was last year. That should tell you something. If we should have technically gone 1-11, like you just said, and not even beat Western, and we still should have won the FSU game. Mm -hmm. like That that should be a little tall. And no one's happy down there. Right. No one's right. the fans aren't happy. Yeah, if they lose the boosters a, aren't if happy. they lose a Louisville man, I like I could totally see Willie Tiger getting fired in the middle of the season. Mid season. Yeah. 100%. If they lose a Louisville and they start out with that kind of loss on their record. But point being, like like I don't I don't necessarily I'm not gonna be upset if this team doesn't go to a bowl game because I think that there's so much work to do in terms of uh of just getting things turned around. I don't think that there's a, a group of I don't want to say a good quarterback because I think Juwan Pass can be a really good quarterback. He's got a lot of tangible skills. I think there's some things missing mentally that I think that are needed to be a really good ACC quarterback. Um, And I think Malik has elite-level athleticism, but I don't think that there is a quarterback that you can rely on to go win you a game this year. And that's where things kind of get choppy. Right, and especially just to not go back and keep harping on FSU, but if Virginia is supposed to be – as solid as they are, potential top twenty-five team. Yeah, as solid as they are supposed to be. Florida State has to play them at Virginia the week before we go to FSU. Yeah. So if you go to Virginia, you know, get your tail end kicked in, which is seems, team's not seems feeling likely. whole great right yeah. now. Right. Uh, you know, I, I I just see that as a as a great combination of of things uh, that could culminate to a Louisville win. It's, yeah. I mean, there, there's wins out there, but I think, like you said, it's just. It's easy to say on paper, oh well, our team, you know, has as much talent as them, and, and so on and so forth. But until you can actually see Juwan pass from Lee Cunningham go out there and lead a game-winning touchdown drive, which right. is what's what is going to be required, they're not going to blow anybody out this year. Right. Yeah, uh, I also think it's going to be aside from Eastern. Right. There's not going to be any blowouts this year. But like, what what kind of tape are you going to watch? This season, yeah, that's kind of, that's, I mean, like, that's, that's be, thing. I'm thinking of all these curveball things. It's going to be, teams. it's like, going to be one of those things like you talked about earlier, where you see a coach like you're going to see Willie Taggart have a binder from App State 2014, and right. he's, you know, that's the tape he's got to watch. But to your point, with new athletes that yeah. are probably going to be better at executing in terms of quickness, yeah. sharpness, all that stuff. So I mean, there's a lot of curveballs that I think Louisville has in their pockets that I think they could probably leverage a little bit. But yeah. also my question to you is how red would Brian Kelly's face get if Louisville were to upset Notre Dame? 
I, you know, I don't. I haven't. Would it just come completely off his body? I like think it would. I mean, I, I, I've tried to let my mind go to where it was last year when it was Alabama, and you heard so much being talked about Louisville's going to beat Bama, and I really started to think, and it was hard not to because your coach was telling you like we're better, we're we got this position better, and this player is better. That was this the ultimate year, troll job. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Like that's like that is like you, they always say the guy that's the loudest is the least confident in the room. Now that I look back on that, like Bobby was that makes beyond so much sense. Yeah, right. It makes total sense that he would say that. Um, if Louisville beats Notre Dame, like it will be the biggest program win maybe since the Sugar Bowl. Like I, I think that Florida State sixty-two to seventeen win or sixty-two to ten win was pretty big. I mean, it would it would be. It, Potentially bigger than that because I mean you look at that team. There's ten guys. There's ten NFL guys just on the defense. Yeah. On, on that team. Like, yeah. No doubt. Potentially I, it's even not, bigger. I, I hate to say, it, but it's not going to happen. Like, let's be no, realistic. No. And I don't no. think you're saying it's going to happen. I, you're asking what would happen. With Brian Brian Kelly would probably punch a ref. Like, I'm just I think saying we get to that point. <laughs> Anyone listening to this, if you go to Google and just type in the words Brian Kelly, hit enter and see the first photo that pops up. Because I'd say it's kind of like that's that's my first vision of what like like Brian Kelly always looks like. Wow, that's him happy probably. I would assume that's like on a good day. He seems like oh my, that's on a good day. It doesn't even look like him. Like he just seems like such a. Is that his Wikipedia picture? Oh yeah, I think so. Dude, no that that is not Brian Kelly. It is. It is. No, you're right. It is. It is Brian Kelly. That is incredible. This is incredible radio, by that, the way. That is what my yeah. Well, I, it's when you <laughs> describing an image. That's what my daughter looks like when we like right now. She's in this stage where she wants to hold our finger and walk us around the house, and it's this like method of I'm going to control you and you're going to do what I say. Yeah. That's what she looks like when we say no. <laughs> Red face, like, kind of looks bloody like bloody murder scream. He kind of looks like the uh, Kentucky logo, like the Kentucky Wildcat logo. The birds having sex? No, 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 the no, other, no, no, no. I mean, okay. I'm sh- there's like a ton of different memes oh, I bet in that photo is, yeah. too. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I want to let my mind go to that Notre Dame game, and we're gonna spend a lot of time. We still got several months until football season, breaking it down and looking say, at where Louisville can win. I think that there's, I, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you I know everything about Notre Dame football right now. I don't. I, I think that there's gonna likely be some spots where Louisville can take advantage. One of them being what you just talked about, like. They're going to watch tape from last year, and they're going to look at this guy, Hassan Hall, number 19. He made a couple of big plays, but he finished the year with 329 yards. Like, this right. kid's not that good, or he, he's not that – we don't really need to worry about him. Javian Hawkins hasn't seen the field, if I'm not mistaken. I think he played in maybe two he, games. He didn't, played against think, Wake Forest, and he had a fumble on an end around. And, was that Javion Hawkins? I can't remember, that? but I know, I know what player you're talking about. But I don't think that was him. I think that might have been. Um, I think Javian Hawkins had one carry for nine yards last year, if I'm not mistaken. I would I would challenge one of you guys to look that up. But like, if if you were a player on on one of these teams that that you know we should get beat against, like a Notre Dame or, right. or I'm not even going to go to Clemson, but I mean like on a Kentucky or Miami or you know the teams that we we on paper should lose to. How do you get yourself hyped for that game? Like, okay, so we're about to play a team that went two and ten last year. They have a brand new coach. Right. Um, okay. Like our coach is telling us, yeah, they're you know, we need to not look over them. But if I'm a player, I'm probably gonna look over us because yeah, you know, like th- that's the thing. They're gonna that's, catch somebody on a bad night, not exactly. paying any attention to them. I no, really there's think there's no we are. doubt about that. And the, and every program who has a new coach and 
is is kind of headed into that next era has that signature win where you see the coach being carried off by the players like that is going to happen this year it's just a matter of who it is is it florida state is it virginia is it syracuse um is it is it nc state is it like there's going to be that game where we look at it and we say that was the signature win of this god satterfield era and that's what kicked it off yeah i mean they were halfway done erecting the 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 brahms statue at purdue as time ran out and the, they beat, and they yeah. beat Ohio State. Like yeah. the, the statue was no already made, no doubt. Ready to roll out. Yeah. You win a game like that for for a program like that and you you got instant tenure. Yeah. In my a- mind. Any closing thoughts on football before we roll on the Jay basketball? Ben Hopkins last year, one carry, 7 yards. 7 yards. And ha- <laughs> was there a catch for 2 yards? There's a catch. There was a catch for 4 yards. 4 yards. Okay. Both so against 11 yards total. I think it would have been weird Indiana if you State. actually got that right. Like that's such a so I'm a big nerd stat. and I do keep track of stats all year long. Like I might have, I may or I'm not gonna confirm this nor deny this that I have some word docs with state with like stats on them that I update weekly just because it, it kind of helps me when it comes to content or maybe I'm just a nerd I don't know. Um, and I thought I remembered that number being nine. Let's transition a little bit. Let's switch it up. There, there's a lot to really like about football with with the program being redone and this new culture change. But there is even more to talk about when it comes to Louisville basketball. Uh, word came down on uh, the the deadline date for the NBA draft that both Jordan Wara, who took it all the way until past my bedtime, I'm I'm not ashamed to admit it, to to announce that he was coming back. We also hear that big man Stephen Enoch is back uh, for the 2019-20 season, and I I can't remember a decision maybe since uh, Donovan. I think Donovan Mitchell was probably the last one. Um, that was of this magnitude or even close to it. But I don't think Donovan Mitchell's was this big because there was still so much talent left on the roster. Right. Jordan Wara's decision to come back to Louisville or go into the NBA draft might be the biggest since the T. Will Earl Clark years. Where Earl, where I believe it was one was going into their junior year, one was going into their sophomore year. They both declare and both come back. This is the most important decision that Louisville basketball has had made in years. Uh, because you're a good team without them. Jordan Wara, 17 points per game. ACC's most play, most improved player of the year as a sophomore. Uh, Stephen Enoch is a, one of the best big men on your roster. Last year, you really struggled with that position, and you bring both back. You bring in seven new players, including a top 10 recruiting class and uh, one of the top grad transfers, and now Louisville is legitimately a Final Four team. Yeah, especially... You're talking about this coming at a time where Louisville fans, especially on the bas- basketball side, I mean, when's the last time fans were able to really pump their chest out and be confident about anything on the basketball side? Most of the time, we're just sticking our head out from a rock and seeing if there's like another, you know, notice of allegations somewhere like that's right. going to drop on our face at any point in time. But I think last year with Matt coming on board people started kind of seeing seeing the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of just all this crap finally being behind us. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we know there's still one more hurdle to get over, but I think with with Jordan coming back, I think that really solidified the fans' confidence that hasn't been there in a long, long time. Like, there hasn't been this much hype for a team at Louisville, not, not just in basketball, but for, for any really sport, maybe besides baseball because, you know... Yeah. They're but, stacked every year now, but but really, like, when's the last time a fan base really got to get this excited about a major sport that that's supposed to be the the face of the program? It's been a few years, you know. I mean, I mean yeah. that's just huge for everybody. Like, 
Especially, older fans got excited about it. The younger fans are pumped about it. Like everyone's right, right. finally, finally, it's like on a board. sigh yeah. of relief. Exactly. The, like there's just like the pressure off your shoulders type situation. Absolutely. Pressure off the shoulders, but also in celebrating that now the pressure's on. Right. To, well, to yeah, there, there's there's definitely a, a pressure to win, but you'd much right. rather feel that pressure than the pressure of you know being punished for something that you didn't even necessarily do or were responsible right. for it. And I think the way Mac handled that first answer to that initial question when once Jordan came back, that made me probably just as excited as Jordan coming back itself when when uh, I think it might have been Bozich who who basically asked him like, "Okay, well now that Jordan's back, you guys have some, you know, pretty high expectations, I, yeah. you know, what how are you going to try to handle that? How are you going to try to manage that?" And Mac's first thing, he's like, I wanted him. He's like, that's why I came here. Right. I want that expectation. I right. want us to to compete every year for a national championship. I want that pressure on me, and I want that on our team because that's that's what Louisville expects. When I heard that, I was like, okay, this is yeah, it's, officially, it's right. officially on. Yeah, you know, for like, sure. You don't want a coach that's going to run and hide and try to give you a run around the bush answer of. Yeah, we're you know we do have high expectations and and we are great and you know it's it's going to be still challenging with the with the season and the teams and all that stuff. Like he could have gave any other answer, but his first initial answer just knocked that out of the park head on. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and the other thing I'd say about that too is that it's such a juxtaposition to what you would have heard from Rick Pitino. You know, like Rick Pitino would have gave some like generic answer about you know. Um, Let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Maybe we right. should get some deflections. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Like something, something like that. You know, I hope some, people some... don't smoke in the Yum Center this year, please. <laughs> I'm gonna complain about that if they do. Right. So, uh, to me, like I, I don't think there's ever been a coach. May, oh, well, okay. I'm, I'll take that back. There hasn't been a coach in a long time who would have handled that question in that manner. Um. So yeah, it's pretty impressive to me that. Um, there's such a night and day juxtaposition, even though coming from Rick Pitino, there's not necessarily, um, you know, it's, it's, it's still on the same level playing field. There's still top 10 type of expectations year in and year out. Um, but just the way that he handled it, um, speaks volumes to a, how confident he is in this team and B, um, just you know what 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 could be to come in the future right and i i think to piggyback real quick um that that made me happy to hear today as well uh speaking of war um i've i don't know who was doing the interview with him and 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 i know one of the major concerns of him if he did come back at the time was is he mainly going to focus on himself and what he needs to do to get in the first round? Right, of the that NBA? one foot in, one foot out. Yeah. Right, exactly, and that's a totally realistic concern to have, uh, especially in his situation. But the thing I heard in his interview today on the radio, uh, he basically said he's making it a point to individually sit down with every single freshman uh, that's, that's coming in. Because Interesting. Because he wants to personally sit down and tell them, uh, you know, how this should go, what yeah. the expectations are, how how you're going to do this on a daily basis. You know, like, I think that is, hearing that, like, because we all know he needs to be a leader, just like Enoch does, just like the older guys. Right. And if you have one foot out, already looking at the NBA still, you know, you're you're not going to be as effective as you were last no. year. You're not, players can tell when your heart's in it and when your heart's not in it. Right. And I think him stating that, like, I really want the new guys to get this 
a lot quicker. So I'm going to sit down with them individually and just talk to them, talk to them about the program, talk to them about the expectations, how we do practice, how, how do we do training every day? Like stuff like that is, is really in my mind, like the intangibles of, of what you, what you can't, you know, get over that you need a leader to have. Right. And I think he was, he nailed that today as well. So that kind of made me uh, alleviate my concerns on, on him having one foot out the whole season, just making sure he focuses on what he needs to get done. Yeah. And so, you know, with every bit of hype that there is right now around the program, where, where should expectations be? I mean, Chris Mack alluded to, there's a lot on his, you know, there's a lot to be excited about. There's a lot coming back, but he also alluded to the fact that this team hasn't done squat. Like yeah, basketball is not played on paper. It is played on a basketball floor and, you could see this team gel right away or you could see problems, you know, with, and it's not very often that, that teams bring seven new players into the fold and still return everybody. almost Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because of the way that the scholarship numbers worked out, right. where should the expectations be? Is this final four or bust? Do you give Mac some, some like, do, do you think it's fair this year? If Mac were to get upset in the first, or second round to, to not, not saying like hot seat, but like, do you, do you think it's fair to, to criticize with a roster like this? Like, what, 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 what are your kind of your expectations? I think the first thing, even before we get to March, is that every great team, you know, even even you saw it at a at a Duke and everybody else last year that ended up being you know top five teams. Everyone has those those periods of the season where it just gets a little frustrating. You're still trying to figure things out. I just think because we haven't been this hyped in so long about our initial preseason expectations, we're going to hit a snag. We're, you know, we're probably going to lose one or two games. We shouldn't lose uh, because of frustrating things. And there's always kinks you got to work out because to Jacob's point, there's a lot of new guys coming in and there's a lot of old guys that are still here. So, I mean, the, the national gotta, national championship team lost three games in a row in the middle of the season. Right. You know, there's always, there's always stumbles along the way and it's going to be about how they can handle that um i think when you talk about expectations for the team um it should be completely different than what the the reality is um you know as a team especially a team of this caliber their expectations should be the national championship i mean if if you're not a competitor if you're not at this level that and not expecting that then there's something wrong you know um so for, for them i think that and they'll say just as much probably. Um, and that, that's something that you want to hear is that their expectation is going to be to go to the final four is to win a championship. And they, they've said as much going to end of the season, which is encouraging. I think that a realist, realistic expectation for now um, going into the season is elite eight. Um, I think that, you know, even looking at this year, we saw, you know, Virginia won the national championship, but along the way um, they had to have a lot of breaks go their way to to get there um you know you talk about the game against purdue like that that's a game that purdue had in the bag like they should have won that game virginia wins close games i mean they they, we've never seen that before. no no but but all all sarcasm aside you know that they were you know a couple of really clutch plays away plus a couple of questionable um you know calls away from from not even making it to the final four yeah um so i there's always, you know, I mean, you even go back to Louisville's national championship season, you know, everybody talks about the Treyberg block on Siva that what may or may not have been a foul. You know, you talk about Louisville barely escaping Wichita State. You know, th- there is a bunch of stuff um, 
there, you know, one play goes one way or another. I don't think that that, that necessarily defines who you are as a team and who you are as a, for the season. No, but great teams find a way to win close games. Agreed, agreed. And so, uh, but I think that's going to be that's why I think that realistic expectations. Chris Mack's never been to a Final Four. Um, he has been to an Elite Eight. He has had an overall number one seed team. Um, so it it'll be interesting to kind of see um, how they handle that pressure. And I think that's something that you reevaluate going into conference play. You know, like is this truly a team that should have national championship ex- expectations or um, you know, is it is it more like you know, elite eight is still a, still a good right. result. The one yeah. thing I don't want to see is is kind of the trailing off in regression that we that we right. saw Absolutely. at the end of last year. I think that was the most frustrating when you saw the capabilities of what this team could do and who they could beat. You know, upsetting Michigan State, really making some runs, seeing some flashes of just brilliance at right. some points, and then seeing the collapse of all that work right, right. at the end and, and just breaking down every time there was a press and, and all that stuff. I mean, it's enough to to rip your hair out. And I think, I think Mac understands in order to even talk about expectations in the tournament, you got to get that crap settled first. You, you can't get shook like that right. towards the end of the season or even towards the end of games. Like you have to be prepared for all different types of facets that you're going to face throughout the season. Sure. And he only had a finite mm-hmm. amount of time to do that with that team, and you and know, a, and a very glued together roster that right. was very limited. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it spoke a lot, and and I was extremely critical towards the end of the season last year when we first launched the podcast with Quan Four because you're putting a guy out there who literally can't play offense. Like he, like mm-hmm. teams you, you're seeing in the NBA Finals right now, team, the, the the Raptors aren't guarding guys like Draymond Green and aren't guarding guys like Andre Iguodala because they can't shoot the ball. Right. And and Mac had to play Quan Four. He had to play Malik Williams and he had to play Stephen Enoch. Like he had to play these guys through troubles because he literally had no one else to turn to. They the interesting thing about this team next year is they have no sophomores. Like they there because there was no incoming freshman last yep. season. So this season, I think that you'll see Mac not have to worry about that, right? So, like, if Jordan Wara is, if it's against Virginia and Jordan Wara is taking terrible shots and he's not doing what's being asked of him, hey, David Johnson, hey, Sam Williamson, let's go. Like, it's your turn, Jordan, go sit down. Like, like we, for the first time, we're going to see Mac have the ability to be able to play guys based well, off of, if you're not playing and doing what we're telling you, you're going to go sit down. Well, and people keep asking, they were like, uh, they were like, yeah, you know, is your coaching style going to change and all this stuff? And I keep thinking in my head, I'm like, if I had double the amount of scholarship players on my bench, <laughs> right. yeah, things are probably going to change if I had a twice as deep roster this year right. as I did last year. Like, people don't understand. Yeah, you have to you have to coach to what you have. Right. And to your point, we had a lot of mishmash last year. Right. You know, I mean, that that's the thing. And now that we have a super deep team, uh, whether it be talented young freshmen Really good older guys. I mean, you have such a deep pool to pull from. Right. It, it's going to be interesting to see how he how he kind of uses the different. I think that's going to be the conversation of the lineups. Yeah. You know, the, there's the so bases. many things. There's so yeah. many things you can do with this with this squad now. So yeah, I think his coaching is going to be a little bit different because his team is so much deeper. All right, we'll we'll go around real quick and we'll do this. If you had to guess today, starting five for the Miami game. For basketball, who's your starting five? Go ahead, Alex. Oh, good gosh! All right, uh, Wara. Now start. With, let's oh. start with the point guard shooting. Like go in order of positions here. All right, we're starting with Fresh Campbell. Okay. At point. 
I'm going. Um, God, there's so many different. I want to go. Wara, here my five. I'm not even going position. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm already going off track. I want to see Wara Williams. Maybe Enoch. Okay. We, All right. Some of them would put Malik at your four. You can't see him, but there's five. a lot of there's wanna, a lot of internal debate going I on. I want to do the stretch. Like a little dance. I really like, want to see Malik go to the stretch four. Okay. Because I I I think he'll, he, he'll shine in that I, role. Not to not to catch you. He is in my mind. He is Channing Fry. Like that's who I see when I watch him play. He is. Yeah. He is Channing. I like Fry. that. Yeah. I like that. That's what I've always thought of him. All right. Continue. All right, so we got Kimball, Wara, Williams, Enoch, and then I'm just going to take the easy route and probably say Williamson. Okay, so you're going with a lineup that has one player under six foot seven. Is that a bad thing? No, you no, said no, you said it like no, a bad no, thing. I, I was thinking of the height of who would be the shortest there, and I think it's Sam Williams. As me being seven. five seven, yes, yeah. I am going to put the <laughs> tallest lineup I can. Are you on overcompensating the floor? for your height with Absolutely. a big lineup? Absolutely. Why do you think I got a sixty four ounce jug <laughs> sitting next to me? Why do you think he drives a Ford F four fifty? Yeah, right. right. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, what do you What do you think? All right, line? I'm going to go Fresh Kimball. Okay. I'm going to go Darius Perry. I'm going to go. All right. I'm going to go Dwayne Sutton. Okay. I'm gonna go Jordan Wara and Stephen Enoch. Okay, I'm I'm gonna agree with you on the first two. I think it's gonna be Fresh Kimball, and I really think the big key of this season, if you're if you're looking for one guy who's gonna be that difference maker, to me it's Darius Perry. Like what he does from year two to year three, knowing what Mac Mac was so blunt, like Mac was so direct of like Darius didn't do what we asked him to do. Like it's pretty much yeah. Darius just didn't it didn't work. So I think that it's Kimball Darius. Uh, I'm going to go with Jordan, and then I'm going to go Malik as well and Stephen Enoch. I think with Aiden Gahan and, and Jalen Withers this season, you're going to see Mac be able to go and play this traditional uh, big, big four, big five, rather than having to play Jordan at the four. Jordan is not a four. Like He should not be playing the power forward position out of necessity, which is what it was last year. And what Dwayne Sutton brings off your bench brings a brand new dynamic to Louisville basketball. True. Like, True. He is the energy that – like I think that if Dwayne Sutton were to ever play in the NBA, it would be in a role where he comes in and he is a energy guy. He gives you seven minutes of I'm going to get every rebound, every steal. I'm going to score four free throws and a bucket underneath, and that's what I'm going to do for 15 years. Like, yep. Yep. That's what he's going to bring to Louisville next year. Is he's going to be that dog off the bench. Um, and I think that Sam Williams – like I think people are so excited – about Sam Williamson and deservedly so. Like, don't get me wrong. Sam Williamson is going to be special, but I don't see a scenario where he starts day one. I just don't see it. Like, that's not traditional. Starting, but I, I just yeah. that's the thing because Mac doesn't. That's not traditional, Chris Mac. Like, no. that's not how he's ever operated. You like for a lot of people who don't know, I've I've had a buddy from high school play for Xavier. Was really really in tune with Xavier for years. Paul Scruggs, two years ago, was the best recruit Xavier had in history, and he averaged about 16, 15 minutes a game off the bench. Like. Just a couple of spots lower than Sam Williamson, same position, a little bit different kind of player. But Mac didn't like make the, he didn't part the Red Sea to get to get Paul Scruggs in his starting lineup. Right. I don't see with an experienced team like this that the that the need to get Samuel Williamson in the starting five is right away. Maybe down the maybe down the road for sure. I can totally see it, but I don't think that there is any rush to do that unless Sam is just so dominant that you can't not put him in the starting five. I think it would also make a difference. Mac has to figure out: Is he going to play better off the bench, or he's is he going to put more effort towards? Right. Just, because some kids are weird like that. Like yeah, some kids sure. like to play off the bench right. and don't start. Because I remember uh, specifically an article or an interview he did last season where 
you know, I think he joked about his his players and stuff about uh, you know, some kids were like, oh, I don't get to start this game or so and so. He, and I think it was thing, M- Malik Williams. Yeah, and he's he like, made that change. He's like, why Williams does it starting? matter if you're starting if I have the ability to right. literally pull your ass out of the game right. and, and right. within like thirty two, seconds? Within thirty seconds, so it really doesn't matter. But if, are you worried about minutes? Right. Or are, are you, you worried, worried about, about he- starting? Are you worried about hearing your name in the intros? Right. The right. one thing that's interesting that you say there is last year he, if you remember, Stephen Enoch started the first. 10 games, 9 games, and he was in foul trouble in 50% of those games, and they moved Enoch to the bench. And Max said, it just makes more sense to bring Steven in off the bench because we're not as worried about him picking up fouls right away. He seems to play differently. He seems to play more aggressive when he's not starting. Maybe that's the case with a guy like Samuel Williams. Maybe there's some some, – or maybe that's Darius Perry. Maybe that's Dwayne Sutton. Like that's mm-hmm. the thing when you have a roster of thirteen guys. Finally, you can do what you want to do with your lineup. Like right. you don't have to say, "Well, Dwayne is my my best rebounder, my my biggest defender. Like I have to start him." Well, maybe not. Maybe you can start Jordan, or, right. maybe, or you know, maybe you can start Malik at the four and kind of present yourself with this unique lineup to start. Like there's all kinds right. of things, and I'm sure there's different game pressure of coming in to the middle of a game and starting that game because, you know, you start the game, you want to play as best as you can. Right. As soon well, as the ball throws up in the air, like but I, I, I do think it's it's interesting to see the guys that that excel off the bench. There's a reason for that. They just Yeah. You know, look I I was fit. so I, I'm I'm not gonna sit here and act like I was a McDonald's All American, but I was a pretty good high school basketball player. I never played on my team because there was nine guys who played division one basketball. That wasn't happening. Pretty impressive. But when I played AAU, I I, I had to start games. Like Those I was just, good excuses. Well when you, <laughs> when you got kids who are going to play at Xavier and IU, like it is what it is. But I like guess. I I was a I started because there was something about my confidence where if I wasn't on the floor to start the game I started think I started overthinking things. Like right. I had to start games. Like that's how it was for me. There's a lot of dudes who are like that, and there's a lot of guys who want to sit. They want to watch and dissect the games. Right. They maybe the coach knows that they bring it just a just a different level of energy. Yeah. That is going to be needed. Like you know, after five minutes, you have guys who have been out there. They're tired. You you get this guy like a Russ Smith who's just an energy ball. Right. You put him out on the floor, and it changes the dynamic of your yeah. team. And well, and to your point, especially with Enoch, I mean, if if you're a foul magnet like he was, or hopefully not still is, but I mean, like he's just massive. So yeah, if you can sit him on the bench instead of starting him, and to your point, dissect the game not no not only just the players, but like how are the refs dictating this game so far? If it's a tight game, they're already calling fouls, all that stuff. You don't have Enoch starting to yeah. pick up the first two. I fouls. mean, Steven looks like a foul. Like I right. mean, when you're two fifty and he you look like a tr- yeah. right, when you look like a truck, like I, you're gonna get called for a lot. So of instead fouls. of figuring it out from him that yeah. the refs are calling a tight game to start, yeah, see what they're gonna do with Malik first. See what they're gonna yeah. do with other guys and say, okay, you know what, Steven, you're gonna have to be a little more cautious this yeah. game. It looks like they're they're calling tight things, they're calling ticky tack fouls, all that stuff. I, I do think there is an advantage to your point or a disadvantage. Uh, you know, I, I'm a wrestler and a football player, so I do not – I don't know about, you know, coming off the bench to, to right. shoot a ball through a hoop, but I do know there's – I'm sure there's a major difference in mentality. Yeah, I always heard – I was always told growing up basketball is 90% mental compared to 10% skill. Like there is so much – thinking and there's so much um just just the ability to focus and and the confidence in yourself and there's guys who it doesn't it, it like look at a guy like lou williams in the nba like mm-hmm. he is a perennial six man of the year made up i had a friend the other night who was like the clippers have the sixth and seventh man two guys in the same award maybe they should start some different players 
But Lou Williams, his thing is coming off the bench. Like there's he not a guy. That. There is not like when I, when he looks across on the other team's bench, there's not a guy on that bench who can guard me. No, nope. like, maybe it's a little bit different in the starting five. Maybe you know a guy like Kawhi. Maybe a guy um, like Andre Iguodala. Whatever, whatever the case is. Like there's guys who can guard me. But like when I come in and you're starting to put your reserves in, I know I'm getting buckets, and it, that's just the way it is. And I think for Mac he's going to have to figure that out this summer and figure out how do I coach these guys? Whose buttons can I press in this way? And we're going to, we're going to kind of see that early on of maybe he, maybe he starts with a lineup against Miami and then you turn around and you see something different against Michigan or you see something different against Kentucky because you have that versatility in your, in your roster to be able to do that. I also think the starting lineup is going to change completely throughout the season uh, based on what Max sees in games. Do you remember I've, who started the first game of the season last year? No idea. Okay. I, it was VJ. I, I know some that. Idea, some yeah, idea. So yeah, we got, but, we had yeah. Kristen Cunningham. Yeah. Um, Jordan. We had Jordan Bora. VJ. VJ King. Dwayne. Uh, Dwayne, no. Yeah, Dwayne, was, Dwayne started. No, VJ started in place of Dwayne. No, 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 because VJ was the two to start the season last year. It really? Was, I, I'm pretty sure it was, it was Cunningham, King, Wara, Sutton and Enoch. That was the five that Are they. Are you sure Perry didn't start? Because I feel like Perry started the whole first half of the season. I don't think so. Because I, I, I'm pretty sure CC was your point guard, and I know they played a really big lineup last year. Um, yeah, Rob, let, let's fact right. let's fact check that. Let's fact yeah, check that because I think the that intern, that's uh, fact checking right now. Oh God, I just. Hopped on Google again oh, and saw was... Brian Kelly's face, and I just got scared all over again. I don't know what happened. What do we got? We're going right now. Game logs, sportsreference.com. Shout out sportsreference.com. A lot of good stuff. That I, I, not that it matters, but the point being that the lineup, the lineup changed significantly by the time that they got to the Minnesota game. And, and it makes sense because there's guys like – there's guys like VJ King who just couldn't do what was being asked of him. And then there's guys like Quan four who kind of excelled in a role that they needed in games early on. Think about that. They ended up, they ended up really struggling and I think they lost the game against Boston college a second time. But think about the way that Quan four started that game and absolutely deed up Kai Bowman. Like Kai, yep. if you remember, yeah, they did lose that game because Kai Bowman started with, I think he was like one of nine or one of 10 because Quan four was the defensive guy that they needed early. Second half, they go to VJ and they change the way that that game is played. Quan sits on the bench and Kai Bowman goes for 25 in the second, in the second half. Something like, stupid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So point being that lineups can change. And when you look at them like that, uh, and I think this is a great transition to kind of to kind of finish the show here, talk a little bit about the NBA Finals. But for the Warriors, they start traditionally they start a lineup that is, you know, Steph, Clay, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, and then inserts broken center here. Whether that's Andrew Bogut, yep. Demarcus Cousins, Kevon Looney, like all all their centers are just hurt all the time. But it doesn't matter <laughs> because they can do all kinds of things. Um, and we're seeing in this finals the way that they're able to to mix lineups and play what they need to do for that game, whether it's start Kevon Looney, whether it's start on Andrew Bogut, start Draymond at the five, bring in Andre Iguodala, start Sean Livingston. Like that that is what basketball is all about, and we are seeing it in this finals. And uh, I, I think that I heard I heard somebody say this on a podcast today. I think maybe Game Five was one of the wildest games, emotional roller coasters that we've ever seen in the NBA Finals. Like, you start that game, Warriors got to have it. Kevin Durant's back; he's dancing in the locker room. 
comes out, plays for a quarter and a half. I think he dominated, if I'm not mistaken, the first quarter. He had like 11, 11 points. points. Yeah. yeah. Comes out and potentially one of the worst non-broken bone injuries I've ever seen. Looks like a gunshot goes off in his leg. Mm-hmm. It changes the entire dynamic of the series. Like, yeah. Did it not remind you a little bit of, not to just keep like drawing parallels to the national championship season, but when Kevin Ware broke his leg? Because Louisville got out to that hot start. Is kind of after that back and forth, and then he breaks his leg, and then Wolvel just busted open. Yeah, and, and, I mean, yeah, a little but, bit different, but like, well, yeah, yeah, and riding I, kind of that emotional wave a little bit. I think it was really interesting. What made that that game so intriguing is you have Kevin Durant out for for four or six weeks with what the Warriors call a calf strain. A lot of people will question that. You get into the finals. Kevin Durant doesn't play game one. Doesn't play game two. Doesn't play game three doesn't play game four people are starting to wonder is he just not playing because like he he's trying to prove a point that maybe the Warriors need him or he knows that his injury is significantly worse than what they're being told uh, maybe he thinks that you know he just needs to kind of sit it out till free agency an article comes out hours before the game from the athletic I believe it is saying that there was frustration in the Warriors organization about Durant not playing he plays. They say the injury can't get worse. Second quarter, he ruptures his Achilles. He's done for the next year. Like He's not going to play basketball for a while. You're not just done for the next year. You might have just altered your career. Right. Like that, no that, doubt. That's to a, play in a game where your be, team – like, like, I mean, whether you win a game, that's great, but you're down 3-1. Like The odds of you coming back are pretty slim. You're really only hurting yourself more than anything. Where do you put the blame? Like that's a, that's been a big question today. So who do you blame? Do you blame the Warriors or do you blame Kevin Durant? Or do you blame? I mean, I, not not I do you blame Kevin Durant because it's not his fault that he ruptured his Achilles. Oh, but right, if you're a, if you're an NBA Finals MVP more than once, you've won multiple championships. Like you're arguably at the moment the best player in basketball in the world on the planet. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna want to play regardless. So you can't fault the guy because every player in that situation is going to be like, yeah, put me back out on the court. Sure, I want right. to do it. I, I think there was just multiple miscues throughout the entire Golden State. I think office. it was just, in my opinion, and maybe yeah. I'm just naive, but I think it was just kind of a freak thing. I, I think that they really, truly waited until he was he was – you know, about as healthy as, as he, he was going to get, for sure. Especially given the timing, right? It's a lose lose. Um, I mean, if he if he stays out, the and and Raptors won that game, then you know it's people are going to be talking about him at being a phony, right? Then you no. didn't come out, you didn't try to play through an injury. You come out and try to play through an injury, you see what happens, and then you know, major injury. So I really didn't see an upside for. For him, really, unless eh. I mean, yeah, it was a lose-lose situation for him. But to, and to his credit, you really get those injuries when your kind of muscle memory just takes over. Um, because if you kind of watched him for the whole first quarter, um, even in warmups and you know, you know some of the plays that they that they showed, it, not it, the dancing, he was dancing well, like a I'm king saying. back so, there, man. But, but still, everything is very was very calculated. Like he yeah. was all of his plays. He wasn't really getting in the pain. It was all spot up threes and um, pretty calculated stuff. But that was truly the first move of the game where he was just like, "All right, I'm gonna take this guy to to school." And right. as soon as he as soon as he makes one move, it, it was over. Yeah. Um. So, you know, you get you know 
you guys have you guys have gotten warm before and you know like once you get right. your blood flowing then you start making movements that your body isn't used to he hadn't done that in what a month he literally not made that move in a month yeah and, and not that i'm a doctor by any means but there was clearly an overcompensation of one muscle to try to yes work for the other muscles Correct. to continue to go Moving forward, we, you know the Warriors get the win, and and the end of that game, I didn't stay up for it because I am a dad and I can't seem to stay up past ten o'clock, which the finals are over at like midnight. Right. That's right. a whole other discussion for another day. The way that game ended, the Warriors almost blew it. Like they 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 had leads throughout that entire game. They come down to the stretch. Toronto has a chance to win that game. Part of being a champion is making clutch plays, which is exactly what they did. I don't know if you guys saw that tweet today of the slow motion play that said. The caption on it was Siri search art, and it was yeah. the, the play of the ball movement, which Disgusting. makes them so special. Like mm-hmm. That's what makes that team so fun to watch. Moving into game six tomorrow night, it, where's the momentum? Is it Golden State? Like, Do we think Golden State is back? Like This is a, this is now almost like a 0-0 series, or yes. do you think Toronto is just – they're going to close it out because there's no Kevin Durant? No, Golden State's going to win, I think. I, I, like it, I would not be – overly shocked if the Raptors won. I mean, they are up three to two. Basically, they just need one more. Right. Basically, they basically have three shots to win the NBA championship, which right. is crazy to think about. Like, there's no other, well, actually, two. There's, two. there's right. two sports yeah. where you basically get, get a chance. You could possibly get, get three to four chances to win win it all. Um, so, it is blowing it if, if the Raptors do end up blowing, blowing a three to one lead. But I will say... By the same token, the Warriors aren't losing their next game. Yeah, it's the last game in Oracle Arena. We know that now for sure. They're not losing that game. It's just, it's just not going to happen. It's kind of like, like if you think about like the Louisville Duke game this year, like how how the crowd kind of willed them out to that lead. Um, imagine if Louisville was a team, you know, like the, if the the Warriors, you know, like right. it's just it, it's kind of or like the last game in Freedom Hall, you know, like the, there's just it, it's hard to. The Raptors are, are set up for failure in, 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 in the next game. And then you talk about, you know, learning how to play as a team and, and, and when, um, you know, kind of getting back to playing as a unit without Durant, knowing he's not going to be there. There's no chance that he's coming back to, to, to save them now. Um, I mean, to, to me, I, I think that – that I, I think it's the Warriors. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think I – don't, I don't know if you guys think any different, but – I'm Tomorrow night, yeah, maybe. I, I think I think Toronto actually ends up pulling out the series. Um, I said last week on on the pod, or maybe a couple weeks ago on the podcast, but you have a guy in Kyrie who basically did not want to be there. Start of the season, did not want to be in Toronto at all. Ends up making one of the. I think I told you uh, they they now dubbed it like the top five, one of the most top five historical shots in NBA history. That, that is the wildest play I've ever seen in my life. He it just nuts. catapulted yeah. himself into Toronto, Canada. He's a god. Like, yeah, he's, he's a, a he is a Canadian god. So a team yeah. you didn't even want to be a part of, and now you actually might go on to win them a national champ or a world it's championship right. in the first season you're there and mm-hmm. walk to a place you didn't even want to be at to right. start the season at. I, I yeah. think the whole story. That to me is, for me is a little more intriguing of a story. Um, but obviously you got the the Golden State yeah. machine. I think people do forget how good Steph Curry and Clay Thompson can be when they're hot. Right. I think to your point, they're probably going to show out tomorrow. I would assume. Uh, if not, I think 
Kyrie has their number. I think I I think Raptors are gonna pull it out. But yep. uh, they got I, the defense. I, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, I, I I I honestly I thought with KD, I think that it was set up for the Warriors to storm back and win the title and KD right. to restore every bit of you know, his image that had been lost for leaving Oklahoma City and going to Golden State now. Mm-hmm. I really think that that Toronto is going to win. They they should have won Game Five. Like they had every opportunity to do so, didn't do it. I think that they'll win tomorrow night, and I cannot wait to see interviews with Kawhi at the podium, getting the like you know <laughs> when they do the like big celebration after, and you know you have some of those moments like LeBron yelling, "Cleveland, this is for you," and KG with the anything is possible, and ask Kawhi, "How's it feel to win?" And he's like. I don't know, man. You have to go ask somebody on the street. Like, I, don't, I don't know. It's Apple time. That's all I know. You just brought the city of Toronto back their first championship. How do you feel right now? I mean. I think I'm just going to go home and I probably feel, hang out. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm excited. Will, will Kawhi smile if he's holding the, the no. NBA Finals MVP trophy? No, I think he'll announce he's going to leave Toronto and go to L.A. I think he's there. How funny would that be? That's he's gonna right. he's gonna hold that championship trophy and then be like, "Yeah, this was pretty cool with the Spurs too," and then just like walk away. Yeah. like that's gonna be his only comment. The the funniest cool. thing there's been so much with Kawhi with the board man gets paid and the the satire with Apple Time and all of these funny Kawhi jokes and the you know the video of Kawhi walking past Drake and not give him any sort of recognition. Oh, my, awesome. my favorite thing from this finals was the guy who he, you know, thinking in his head, I'm going to ask this just transcending question of what, what does this do for Canada? And he asked the question, how do you think this is going to impact Canada? Quiet? And he's like, I don't know, man. You have to go ask somebody outside that lives in Canada. Like that, <laughs> like, like that guy, that guy is never asking another question ever again. In the podium. Like he is broken. I mean, that's a good point. You've never lived in Canada. I don't know if, if basketball is going to make them happy or not. I mean, yeah. All right. Any last thoughts, Presley? Anything that you want to close the show with? I got nothing. Man. Nothing. I'm Alex? excited about these red seats. Yeah, me we, too, we man. Never really got into that, but yeah. I, I look. It, it, they're going to be red. Like that's it. It just reaffirms my belief that that Tyra literally is a man of the people. No doubt. That dude came in from day one. And he's like, I hear you. I hear all the complaints. I, I feel see like- all the complaints. I'm going to take care of all your little complaints, no matter how serious or not serious they are. He is the perfect mix of like half businessman, like super, super smart, knowing how to run companies, and half, I'm just going to scroll Twitter and see what everybody's talking about and fix one thing at a time. Like- I feel like Tyre is literally, he might be the biggest athletic director fan. Like no he, doubt. No, he's he wasn't a, he's, he wasn't in sports at all. He was just no, a fan. Like, is this going to be a debate between is it technically Tyra or Tyre? It's Tyre. I have is no it, idea. I've always I've heard both. Yeah, Vince Tyre. Sean yeah. when Sean Moth says that he says Vince Tyre. Yeah, it is Vince Tyre. Whatever Sean Moth or Kelly Dickey say, I just go with it. I don't yeah. even look it up. I don't even fact check it. You know the funny thing. I'll close on this. Last week that we saw those you know those rankings that Andy Katz put out. Of uh, top small forwards, top point guards, whatever. He did a video chat before he did the one with Jordan Wara. He kept calling him Jordan No Wara, mm-hmm. and he he started the video chat with Jordan saying, "Jordan, I'm so sorry. I keep saying your name wrong. How do you pronounce it?" And it I thought that was great because I'm never going to get his name right. It's Jordan Wara. It's me forever. It's Jordan Wara. Right. Just like yeah. it's I can't say Kristen. I, I butchered it two weeks ago. So don't... yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been a pleasure hanging out with you guys. Uh, Continue to, to listen, subscribe. You can find us just about anywhere that you find podcasts. 
Um, the, the Twitter handle is at the Big Red Louie. We continue to pump out content unlike any other site in the city of Louisville. We thank you guys for everything that you're doing, for continuing to read, uh, for continuing to follow us on Twitter. You'll now be able to find us on Hall About Sports. Shout out to Brian Hall for putting that together and uh, just for how um, how unified that's going to make this Louisville sports community. We'll uh, We'll catch you guys next time.